Welcome to ECB Everything College Basketball. Cooking it up with Tyler, Josh, and Peyton. Yeah. It's everything college basketball. We're marching on to the madness. Come to full court press. Every crazy dunk in the conference and how that team's match up. We're pulling your poles, taking your bows, letting the Burton brothers know. The players you're watching, the teachers you're not with, and who you see in the final four. With them shout outs and weekly pickums. Plus those crazy rants from Tyler, Josh, and Peyton. It's ECB. Everything college basketball. Training three. Man, this podcast has it all. It's ECB. Everything college basketball. Training three. Yeah, now the moment you've all been waiting for Your host, from the corner It's Josh and Peyton Burton With Tyler Cool Everything College Basketball Podcast everybody back to another edition of the everything college basketball podcast episode 72 we're coming at you live because today we are reviewing the first official live action of the 2020 2021 season yes i said live we finally made it i'm of course josh burton my name is peyton burton Peyton, as I alluded to, we finally, over Thanksgiving Thanksgiving weekend, Feast Week, finally had live game action. So, so happy. Yeah, um, been way too damn long since we had we had the chance to watch college basketball. And I can't be more excited that college basketball is back. Uh, you mentioned Thanksgiving. I uh, hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know I did, especially sitting home watching all those fantastic games that we had. Gonzaga, Kansas being one of them that we got to watch and we'll talk about later on in the show. Um, I'm just very thankful that college basketball is back. Um, also, there's another thing I'm thankful for, and it's our two-year anniversary uh, since we started the, the group, the Facebook group, everything college basketball. And it's been a wonderful ride. I've had a lot of fun, and we're going to keep going up from here. And last week was fun. Last week's podcast episode was fun. Um, probably the funniest part was me talking about hand shoes and horse grenades. Ah. <laughs> um, this week is going to be is going to be the same uh, enthusiastic as it was last week, and I can't be more excited. So, yeah. yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I was getting ready to say it, but you kind of tucked my thunder. But, to. but yeah, actually today, and I'd forgot the date. I knew it was close until I looked on Facebook. Because mm-hmm. thank God for Facebook memories on that. Um, it was two years ago today, and I still remember it, that I, I decided to take the chance. I'd been thinking about it and thinking about it. It's something that Peyton and I and Tyler and I and all of us had just kind of talked about for years, to be honest, where we were just, oh, man, you know, I wish we could do this. Uh, it'd be nice just to kind of make a living off this. And because we all we spent hours talking to each other about it. The same stuff that you, we talked to you on the podcast, we talked to each other about. So finally, I got the bug one day, and I got to shout out our good friend, Conrad Cushman, owner and operator of Everything Pro Wrestling, our sister site. I had made, I had talked to him about some of the ins and outs of how he does his show and everything and his group, because his group's very successful. 
and his podcast was very successful. So I, I picked his brain, and he gave me the go-ahead. He kind of gave me the extra, that push, that motivation, like, do it, do it. We, we need a, a college basketball-only um, outlet, basically. And he gave me that nudge to do it. So this day, two years ago, it was, if I remember right, it was evening time when I did it. Yeah. So I said, screw it. And I got the blessing from Conrad to use the everything moniker. And we became sister sites. And the journey started that day. I remember making the group, being nervous, because I nervous and excited because I didn't know how to promote it. I wasn't for sure if anybody would join, if anybody would care, how long it would last. Within that first month, we had already had almost 100, 100 um 100 members in the group and it kept growing by by years in we had a couple hundred and you know hundreds a couple thousand listeners to our podcast we had grown it worldwide if you look at our statistics how many countries we're in right now um it's just crazy to think two years ago today i just because i decided to finally take a chance and create an outlet for all of us and a platform we're able to sit here now it's just Two years goes by fast, man. Yeah, it definitely does. And you mentioned Conrad. And this isn't the shout-out segment. That will be later on in the show. But shout-out to Conrad for helping us with that. Because like you said, we've been wanting to do this for like a while now. And I feel like that's the hardest part is getting everything like ready to go, like making the Facebook group, hoping some – hopefully you got people that join the group. Hopefully they'll be interactive in the group. And hopefully it's a success. And Conrad's built a good – a good um, group down at EPW does great things over there. And shout out to him because without him, I don't know where we'd be with doing ECB. And he gave us a blessing and he gave us the confidence to get this done. And it's been a wild, wide two years in the making. I probably saw the messages of Josh uh, talking to me and Cook about making this group and making me and Cook admins and stuff like that. And at first we was just talking about making the group. I don't know if the podcast was even in talks yet. And like a couple weeks later, we actually started the podcast, which is everybody knows I how had, it went. I had it in the back of my mind. I wasn't for sure. I knew I needed certain tools and I, I and, and honestly too, helped me get started with the podcast. <laughs> Wayne Emberton, who does this badass intro song you hear each and every week at the start of the show, he's the one, because he had an Anchor show, and he's the one that kind of turned me on to Anchor as well and explained some stuff, how to use it. But at that time, just using your phone, because I'd been on his show before. Um, so you don't get started with something like this without having a lot of help and a lot of good people around you. It's been two years, man, two years in and a hundred more to go. Yeah, we ain't done yet. It's only just no. the beginning of ECB and everything college basketball. No. Um, Peyton, while we're here, go ahead. We've, we've talked about Conrad. We've given him enough love. I know we <laughs> normally save this for an ad read, but go ahead and let the folks know about Conrad and where to find his stuff at now while we're talking about it. Conrad Cushman is the host of the Everything Pro Wrestling podcast. Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans. For the fans, and you can find this podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts or find podcasting at, he's on there. Also, go subscribe to his YouTube channel. Just type in the YouTube search bar, everything pro wrestling, and hit that subscribe button. Because without him, who knows what ECB would be at right now. So shout yeah. out to him. And yeah, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Appreciate it all from Conrad and all the help we got. 
but so that's that. We're, we're celebrating two years today. Um, Peyton, we had live game action. I know in the next segment after commercial break, we're going to review all the action. And boy, was it some crazy ones over Feast Week. But just the feeling when we set that. I mean, I got, I came over to, to your place for yeah. the first tip off of the year at 11 o'clock. Between two relatively unknown, or no, you know, no name schools. I shouldn't say unknown. That's not fair. But we were just so happy, and it didn't matter to us. No fans in the stands, some fans in the stands at certain places, the camera angles being weird up in the crow's nest in most of these places to keep them away, the floors looking weird. I didn't care about none of it. So thankful and happy. Do you talk about Thanksgiving being a time of being thankful? I was so thankful this past week to just have our sport back. To be able at late at night and watch a West Coast game. To be able to watch top 25 teams play. To be able to watch the women's game and everything in between. It didn't matter to me that there's no fans. It didn't matter. Hopefully someday, hopefully someday soon, we get all that stuff back and get that atmosphere back. But I'm just so, after 200 plus days of not having it and speculation and uncertainty, I'm just so thankful we got college basketball back. Yeah, I can't say it any better than what you did. The day, November 25th, when college basketball started, um, since we had COVID, especially for me, my sleep schedule got super messed up. And I'd go to bed, I'd stay up all night, go to bed like 6 a.m. and then wake up at like 2 or 3 p.m. And I did the same thing the day of college, or the day of uh, November 25th. And I didn't know if I was going to wake up in time because games started at 11 or 12. 11 for one of them. Yeah, I actually ended up waking up perfect time at like 10.30. And I was energized, I was ready to go, instantly turned my computer on, got my two screens ready, instantly turned on the South Florida versus uh, Florida College game. That's who it was. And started watching that, and I messaged Josh seeing what he's going to do. If he's watching, he actually came over and watched some games with me. And like the day of, or like the Louisville played at 1 p.m. And once Louisville was getting a tip off, I was just up here just jumping up and down, just super super excited for that game. And not just because I'm a Louisville fan, just because I'm a college basketball fan in general. It's just nice to have some college basketball games to be able to watch all all week. And it's not going to stop here. Um, I'm super excited. And we had some crazy – we had some really good games in the first week. We had some great games. We had some phenomenal upsets. And we had some phenomenal um, performances by some of the top freshmen in the nation. And I can't wait to get into it in the next segment. I'm ready to go. Yeah, yeah, we'll hop right in that here in just a second. Um, it, you were talking about, too, the, the screens and everything. This whole weekend that we spent together, the couple days, we had minimum two screens, sometimes three screens when I pull my laptop up. Yeah. We had, at one point, you are talking about the opening day, we had South Florida versus Florida College. We had the Kentucky women's game yeah, on one true. screen. We had the Louisville women's game. And then we had the Louisville men's after the South Florida game ended. Yeah. We were just having games all over in each screen. It was so cool. Um, Milan just won. We control or expand our lead in Serie A. Let's give two claps for that. <laughs> How well since my team sucks right now? Um, I'm so proud of my boys. But anyways, what you guys are here for today, 
We had some big-time games, some big-time performances, some question marks. I mean, already, to me, surprises in college basketball that I didn't expect in the first weekend. A lot to get into. We're going to take our first break in the action. When we come back, we're going to break down live game footage. Finally. You're listening to episode 72 of the Everything College Basketball Podcast. Be right back with you in a moment. Welcome back to episode 72 of the Everything College Basketball Podcast. Peyton, we talked about the open. But we are finally able to review live game action. And in this past week, there was none bigger. If you remember last week, we previewed it. The game of the week over Feast Week this past week was Thursday afternoon in Fort Myers, Florida. The Fort Myers tip-off. Number one, Gonzaga. Number six, Kansas. A titanic matchup. The openers for both ball clubs. And Peyton, the game did not disappoint. Gonzaga led at halftime 54-46. Looked kind of more of the same in the second half, although it was a very entertaining game. Kansas would rally back. But at the end, Gonzaga has too many weapons. Gonzaga 102, Kansas 90, Peyton. Recap us the game. Um, I mean, it was a tremendous opener to college basketball. I, to me, it lived up to hype. Yes, a couple of things. You mentioned the final score, Gonzaga won 102 to 90. Uh, fun fact, uh, after the game, they mentioned this. Uh, this is the first time Kansas has given up over 100 points since 1980. So very long time since they gave up 100 points, and Gonzaga did the job. Uh, real quick, I want to announce a formal apology to Gonzaga because a couple of weeks ago I said that I don't think this team can win. Um, or go to like a Final Four national championship or do good in March. And boy, I was hella wrong on this one because this team is without a doubt the best team. I know it's only been one week. This is without a doubt the best team in college basketball. I don't think there's any debate whatsoever. Like they beat Kansas and they went on to beat Auburn. That two wins is incredible and they played great both games. But we're quick talking about this game though. Gonzaga started off the game very, very hot offensively. Kansas had trouble stopping guys like Coy Kisper and Jaylee Suggs early on. Second half, they did a little bit better, but Gonzaga proved that they're the best team in the nation. Um, And we're quick on Jalen Suggs. Obviously, I'm Mr. Recruiter, so I know a lot about him. Coming to this year, I knew he was a well-rounded scorer. I knew he can defend as well. I am going ahead and put this out. I know it's only one week. There's only so much you can tell about one week. But Jalen Suggs is the best freshman in the nation. He does look very calm and poised. Uh, you got to think, too, he came in and started right he away. He started right away. experience Gonzaga team. I mean, he, he's starting over guys like Pablo Zakharov and Andrew Nimhard and company. Yeah. Um, turn that off. Yeah, that's what I said. Jalen Suggs is the best freshman in the nation. Like the way he controls the pace and his ability to score and defend is why I'm putting him ahead of Cade Cunningham currently. Cade Cunningham, he had a good game. Uh, he had he had a really good game. I forgot who they played, but obviously he's a fantastic player as well. But I'm personally a favorite of Jalen Suggs. I think he's the best freshman in the nation. Um, but anyways, Kansas. Look, 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 go hey, ahead. I got. I got something, too, I just want to talk about. 
You talk about Gonzaga came out red hot, and they did. I mean, Corey yeah. Kispert, Drew Timmy. Suggs started off – not that he started off slow, but you could tell he was more trying to get the experienced guy's ball – or his shots because they were run stuff for Timmy on a, like a slip screen or Kispert coming off these uh, floppy actions or double screens looking to shoot the ball. Gonzaga did not shoot the ball well from three. No. Not at the start and not the whole game. And we're used to Gonzaga – and we talked about in the preview – Gonzaga is going to hit a bunch of threes and they didn't. They only shot six of 18 and they yeah. still put up 102 points. That to me is what the most scariest thing about this team. Um, yeah, they came out, they were running great action, getting to the rim, mid range jump shots, even with the three not falling. And to me, the most surprising thing about Gonzaga is their defense, how locked in they were. And I know they end up giving 90 to Kansas. <sighs> But them first 10 minutes, it looked like Kansas was getting ready to get ran out of the gym the way Gonzaga was suffocating them. They were on the block if because Kansas is weak, you know, weaker than normal in the front court. When Lightfoot and when um, uh, McCormick would get the ball down low, Gonzaga would run a double team at them yeah, and make yeah. them reverse the ball. They would make them settle for jump shots. They packed the lane in. They almost, not a pack line, but they literally just sagged in the lane and made Kansas shoot jump shots, which they weren't hitting early on. Gonzaga's defense, to me, was so impressive. The way they, how big they are, the way they were swarming. I think one of the most underrated things about them, we knew their offense was great, but how well they played defense surprised me. Yes, I agree. I think the defense actually surprised me a lot, even though they gave up 90 points uh, to Kansas. Uh, this is a good Kansas team, but I feel like a lot to do with that and like the first eight minutes of the first half was kind of to my point last week talking about this Kansas team, but they don't have a true point guard. They don't have Devon Dodson or even Isaac McBride to settle the waters to run their offense. Um, so I feel like they struggled early on. The first half Kansas team and the second half Kansas team was completely different because I agree. First half, I thought they was going to get blown out of the gym. I thought Gonzaga was going to do what they wanted to do to Kansas and beat them by 20-plus. And Kansas actually came out second half. They was hitting some shots. They was attacking the rim. They stopped a couple possessions for Gonzaga. I was very impressed at how well Kansas played second half, even though they got beat by 12 points. They still showed high and um, – toughness to fight back and not let it slip out of the hands. It's like the last like five or four minutes. Um, super impressed how Kansas played in the second half. But real quick, question to you. Is, it might get lost in translation since we haven't had college basketball in a very long time. Just how good is Coy Kispert? Oh, my God. He is damn good. He is, he is so good. How about this? He played 38 minutes. How Not only how good is he, but how important to Gonzaga is he? He played 38 of 40 possible minutes. He went, put 23 points up, four rebounds, only, I mean, he had three fouls, but in 38 minutes, he went eight of 13 from the field, three of eight from three pointers, and made every one of his free throws. He is a, the most important piece in this Gonzaga cog. He's a national player of the year candidate. We knew it coming in, and he delivered big time. You talk about Gonzaga and their just how good they are, their depth. Um, they they played what six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. They played twelve guys at least one minute. Yeah. Um, 
And they had four of their five starters in double figures. Drew Timmy had 25 to lead the way. Corey Kispert, 23. Jalen Suggs as his debut, 24 points in 24 minutes, along with eight assists. And four rebounds. Yeah, and Joel Ajayi, or Joel Ayayi, 15 points. The only one that didn't score in double figures was Aaron Watson with two points. Off the bench, Andrew Nimhart had 11. And I know there, there's a couple keys that Gonzaga, I think, that's going to come back to bite him. We'll talk about in just a few minutes because I want to focus on um, this and Kansas before I get back to Gonzaga's weaknesses and Kansas's weaknesses. As far as the game, I thought it was tremendous. I thought it was a fantastic opener of the college basketball season. I love that Kansas didn't fold. I mean, you don't expect Bill Self's teams to do that anyways. No. But they were outmanned. I mean, this looked like – Kansas is a good ball club, right? The, to me, they're, they're a good ball club. They'll be – by in season's end, they're going to be a really good ball club. Gonzaga made them look less than. Like, they're not even on the same playing field for times. But you got to give Kansas credit. Um, I thought key for this year to me was um, Oche Abaji. He started off slow, but he started hitting some threes. His three-point shots improved. He shot two for four. Uh, he only missed one free throw, 17 points, four assists. He did not get a single rebound, though. A dude that explosive and that athletic's got to come down and help rebound. Um, but 17 points. Christian Brown, eight points. I know he ended up going off against um, – the next day against St. Joe's. But Christian Brown, eight points. David McCormick, eight. Jalen Wilson did not play at all last year. Former five-star kid that originally committed to Michigan, decommitted, went to Kansas, got hurt last year. 11 points in basically his college debut. That's a kid that if he gets rolling, I think could really change Kansas. And then Marcus Garrett, yeah, he's, he's definitely not a true point guard. But he played 37 minutes. Kansas needed him. They need him throughout the year. Played 37 minutes, 22 points. You know, he did have four turnovers. He only had four four turnovers and two assists. Got to take care of the basketball. But he had some big shots when Kansas needed it at times to close the gap in. I I just thought it was a tremendous college basketball game. I'll let you speak on some stuff real quick, and then it'll come back to me because I want to – there's a couple things for both teams that concern me going forward, but there's a lot I like about both. Yes. Real quick um, on Gonzaga. I don't remember who mentioned this on Twitter. I don't know if it was John uh, Rothstein or if it was like Seth Greenberg or someone like that. So excuse me because I don't remember who said it, but I totally agree with them. They said Gonzaga has probably like the best starting or should be starting five in the nation. Andrew Nimhard needs to be starting. When they have Andrew Nimhard, Jalen Suggs, Joel Ayayi, uh, Drew Tammy and Coy Kispert on the floor, they're terrifying to play against because yeah. all of them are so good offensively that any one of them can score the basketball. And that's- every single one. I'm glad you said that every single one of those guys because that, that's the most potent offense in the country. Yeah, that's probably the reason why they put up 102 points on a Kansas team that's pretty damn good. And real quick on Kansas, you kind of mentioned it. Marcus Garrett actually played pretty damn well. He had 22 points. Um, he played almost the whole game, 37 minutes. And real quick on Kansas, a Kansas fan, I haven't talked to Cook yet, but I feel like he probably agree with me. I wouldn't be too down on this loss because, like I said, I think Gonzaga is the best team in the nation. And last year you started the season 0-1 when you lost to Duke, and you ended up finishing the season 28-3. So I wouldn't put too much into this loss, even though you gave up 102 points. You definitely can work on your defensive game, lock in more defensively. Um but for Gonzaga, I think Kansas will be fine later on. For Gonzaga, 
we'll see how good they really are. I still think they're the best team in the nation, but they got some big matchups coming up soon. Teams like West Virginia, who's going to defensively is going to be probably one of the best teams they face all year round. So I don't think they'll put up 100 points on West Virginia, but we'll see how they do against that. But I fully agree that Gonzaga is the best team in the nation. And Kansas will be totally fine. Yeah, I agree with all that, what you just said. Um, Kansas, a couple concerns for me. You Like you talk about, no true point guard. Garrett could eventually develop into it, but he can't go games where he has four turnovers to two assists. He's at least got to have a one-to-one ratio. If he's going to have four turnovers, he needs at least four assists. But on the flip side, Kansas also needs – to develop, they need a couple more scorers to help lighten the load. We know that their front court depth isn't what we're used to and accustomed to in Lawrence, Kansas. We know that David McCormack and Mitch Lightfoot are basically the only two true bigs that they have. So with that, they have to get other help from other people. Like I said, I know Christian Brown ended up the next day going for 30 a career high against Auburn. He's not going to go for 30 every night, but if you can get 10 out of him every night, if you can get Jalen Wilson to play up to his potential and get 8, 10, 12 points out of him, if you can get um, – is it Tyson or Tyshawn Grant Foster? It's Tyon. That's what I said. Tyon okay. Grant Foster. If you can get Grant Foster, he, he only played 10 minutes. I know he's a Juco coming – he's a Juco, right? He's a Juco player. I think so, yeah. If you can get him to play better, he played 10 minutes, three points, didn't really do a lot. Tristan and Aruna was a big disappointment to me. Yeah. Still, I'm looking for something big and special from this kid. If Kansas can develop a couple other guys, though, they're going to be good. Even without the even without the um, the front court depth that they normally have, because they're going to play hard. Self's never going to let this team quit. But this could be a Kansas team that actually has six, seven losses by season's end. Yeah. Gonzaga, offensive juggernaut. I thought they played good defense. Um, Here's a couple concerns for Gonzaga. Yeah, they played 12 guys. But really, Nimhard and Cook are the only two that played significant minutes. Mm-hmm. Nimhard played 32 minutes off the bench. He played just as much as uh, Joel I, who started the game. I'm with you. Nimhard probably needs to start. And then Cook played 11 minutes. Like, Zakharov played one. Arlauskas played one. Strother played two, et cetera, et cetera. And th- none of them scored. Nimhard no. and Cook's the only two off the bench. So here's my two concerns about Gonzaga. Bench depth and bench slash bench scoring. Because especially if you move Nimhard to the starter, you know, is IE going to be able to spark you off the bench? Maybe. Maybe. Bench scoring. And what happens when Corey Kispert goes in foul trouble? Or maybe God, I mean, I'm not saying, let's say, hope he doesn't never gets hurt or not like that. But I'm just saying, what happens? You can't play him 38 minutes every night. And and I know when they get to the West Coast Conference, they're not going to have to. Let's just be real. Yeah. But obviously they have to play him a ton in these big high-profile games. And Gonzaga's got a bunch of them in the next few weeks. Mm -hmm. Same thing will happen in, say, a tournament. You can't ask him to, to carry the load that much. He needs to tone his minutes down to about 33 a game and then develop somebody else off the bench and keep those big-time minutes for special moments like this. And, and I know everybody wants to play, but you, you can't rely on Corey Kispert that much, especially when you're Gonzaga and you have other weapons. So what happens when Kispert goes out is what I'm concerned about. 
yeah, they got weapons, but Kispert, that whole offense runs through him. Yeah. That whole offense runs through Corey Kispert. I think, personally, Gonzaga, because I feel like a lot of those guys that got minutes, like Dominic Harris and Julian Strother, I feel like a lot of guys, a lot of those guys got, like, clean up minutes when it's, like, the game's, like, two minutes ago, and they're already up, like, 12, and they're going to win the ball game, and they don't want to get their best place injured. So I feel like that's where the minutes came from. Realistically, they're probably just going to go eight, seven to eight deep right now. Um but nonetheless, they're very, very talented. And I agree. Once Kisper, if he gets in foul trouble or, God forbid, he actually gets injured or something happens to where he can't play, um, Gonzaga might have some troubles. But, like, honestly, I don't know if they will or not because I'm a huge fan of Jalen Suggs. I feel like he'll be able to continue that scoring load. You still have a guy like Drew Timmy. Like, Gonzaga pit three uh, players – uh, with 20 points or more. Uh, Kispert yeah. with 23, Timmy with 25, and Jalen Suggs as a freshman, his debut in college basketball, put up 24. So I feel like it'd be fine even if Kispert goes out with, like, foul trouble or anything like that. But who knows? Maybe you're correct. Maybe they'll have some troubles. Maybe they have to find another guy. Like, maybe Aaron Cook would get a lot more minutes. Maybe he could be a spot coming off the bench. I don't know. We'll have to see. But I feel like bench depth definitely is going to hurt them later on in the year, um, especially when they play teams like West Virginia coming up soon. So – I agree. So moving on to the other big game, it ended up coming in a final. We needed a little help to get here, but also on Thursday evening in the finals of the 2K Empire Classic, number three Villanova defeated number 18 Arizona State 83-74. Both these clubs the night before, Villanova actually struggled against Boston College. Arizona State had a battle with Rhode Island. Both, though, end up in the matchup we wanted to see thought it was a good game Peyton I know this was a game that intrigued you and piqued your interest I'll let yeah. you take over first so look at final score of Villanova ended up winning 83 to 74 and Villanova completely shut Remy Martin down he only had five points Martin only had five points and I'm super high on Remy Martin but this game oh he had five points this game but a couple of guys I want to talk about real quick that really impressed me um, and those two guys are Jeremiah Robinson Earl from Villanova and Josh Christopher from Arizona State. First, I was first I'm going to talk about Christopher from Arizona State. He played really well in this game, dropping 28 points, or 28 points, and proved why him and Remy Martin can be a nasty duo, especially in the Pac-12 play. I know Remy Martin only had like five points and didn't really play good, but I guarantee you that would not happen again. He's going to have some good games. He's going to show why you. He's going to show why he's one of the best players in the Pac-12, one of the best players in the nation. He just had an off day. It happens to the best of us. Um, but Josh Christopher, even though Remy Martin didn't play well, he came out his freshman debut, his college basketball debut, and actually showed out 28 points. Hit a lot of shots. Was very impressive with him and Jamai Robinson Earl was two rebounds away from getting a double-double this game. His sophomore year was two rebounds away from getting a double-double. He had 28 points and eight rebounds, and he played great defensively. If he can continue to develop as a two-way player, then he's going to have a phenomenal year this year, and his draft stock will rise. So super impressed with Josh Christopher and Jamai Robinson Earl this game. Uh, as far as like team stats and stuff like that, Villanova did not shoot the ball well from three at all. They shot 33%, which really isn't terrible, but it's not Villanova basketball. Normally, they shoot a little bit higher from three. Yeah. And Arizona State they actually shot a little bit better. They shot 35.7%, uh, shot 28 threes, hit 10 of them, which Villanova shot 24 and hit eight. Uh, shout out to Kobe Bryant. Um, I think Villanova 
they you mentioned they struggled early on. Who was the debut game against Boston College? They struggled and they ended up pulling away and getting the dub. This game, they pretty much led the whole entire game. They was up 41-32 at halftime. Then Arizona State started fighting back. Christopher started hitting some big time shots. Um I I still like this Arizona State team. I still like them a lot. Even with Remy Martin, your best player on having five points, you still only lost to what nine point eighty three seventy four. You still only yeah. lost by single digits. So yeah. I feel like that's something you can put your head up high on. Villanova, they need to start hitting shots more. They gotta take care of the ball. They had eleven turnovers and they gotta start hitting more, more shots. If they yeah. win, they actually be really good this year. Yeah, I'm so surprised with Villanova this season at the start of it. I thought that they would be Gonzaga-esque in their offense efficiency. They are I, – I know, I know this game they win, right? But I'm with you. They put four guys in double figures, but they got nothing in the way of bench scoring. They scored seven points off the bench, only played um, nine dudes. I'm sort of concerned about Villanova, at least early on. And keep in mind, Brian Antoine is still not playing. Yeah. He's been out since September 28th, according to Jay Wright, with the same shoulder injury, basically, that ended his career or season last year. So I'm really hoping the kid gets healthy, but I'm afraid he might be injury-prone. But Villanova's got too much experience and depth. Jamar Robinson early talked about had a tremendous game. 28 points, very efficient from the field, 11 to 17, 2 for 4 from the three-point line, and 4 for 6 from the uh, free throw line. Eight rebounds, one steal. He he led the Wildcats, and he probably will all year. You know, Colin Gillespie, 11 points. I'm looking more out of Colin Gillespie. He's supposed to be the leader. If they're going to get to a Final Four again, to me, he's the guy. 36 minutes, 11 points, three fouls, four assists, four rebounds, one steal. He didn't have a turnover, but I need more out of Gillespie. I need more out of Villanova's bench. Chris Arcadiacono, he only played one minute, so I'm not going to fault that, but I thought he had played more. Cole Swider, 23 minutes, four points for a super talented kid who could start for a lot of teams. 23 minutes off the bench, he went two of seven from the field and didn't make a three, didn't make a free throw, four points, three rebounds, one turnover, one foul. I need more out of Cole Swider. Or Swider. Arizona State side, yeah, Josh Christopher is tremendous. Uh, 28 points, 11 of 17 from the field, hit three threes, made all of his free throws. You couldn't ask more from the freshman. How about um, Verge Jr.? Yeah. 22.7 rebounds, three assists, 32 minutes. Remy Martin will be fine, but I'm get. if you're a national player of the year, you cannot – even if you have five points in a game because every big-time player has these games, right, maybe yeah. you have a stretch of two or three games where they don't – play well or don't score a bunch but I guarantee you Luca Garza as a national player of the year candidate or Ayo Donsumu isn't taking only eight shots in a big time game Remy Martin took eight shots and I know people can look at that well he's not being selfish I get that but when you're a superstar like that or you're supposed to be a superstar in a big time game all needs to be in your hands and you need to get more than eight shots you can't let the freshman get nine more shots than you you can't let your other combo guard get six more shots than you. You can't let Marcus Bagley shoot three more shots than you. You shot three more shots as a perennial All-American than um, one of your bench players who played 19 minutes. 
who went one of five from the field. Does he need to pull um, 30 shots if he's not hitting? No. But in a big-time game like this, when you're relying on him, you know, you only get beat by nine. He's a guy who can get red hot at any moment. Give him 15 to 20 shots. He only he only had eight shots to get going, and he hit one three. Give him another 12, you know, 12 to 15 shots. Who's to say he couldn't hit a couple more? That's all I'm saying. If you're Remy Martin, I know you're trying not to be unselfish, but you still only have two assists, so it's not even that. And I know the defense and everything. I get there's variables. But if you're a National Player of the Year candidate, you got to get find more ways to score the ball and at least get more shots up to try. Colin Gillespie, I'm pitting him on blast right now. Kind of like Cook did a couple years ago with um, – Oh, I can't think. Oh, uh, oh my God, Edwards, Costin Edwards, kind of yeah. like he did with him a couple years ago. I'm doing the same thing with Colin Gillespie, and the reason I'm not doing it with Winnie Martin because you kind of already just did it with Winnie Martin right there. And plus, he plays on a little bit not. I'm not gonna say worst team, um, but Villanova is like a top five ranked team that you rank third and rank fourth or rank first in all preseason top twenty five this year. So I'm paying Colin Gillespie on blast. I know he had a little bit better game. I think he dropped like twenty points in the Virginia Tech loss. Um, yesterday but I don't care you are without a doubt I think the best player best point guard best guard period in the nation one of the best guards in the nation you are the leader of this Villanova team you need to play better you had 11 points four assists four rebound and yes I know you end up coming out with a dub so I don't really care about that. You still need to play better with like a player of the year candidate as you are one of the best guards in the nation. My big East player of the year currently coming into this year was Colin Gillespie. And you just have to play better. I mean, 11 points, four assists, four rebounds. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's, it's good for like a bench player. If they come off the bench and have that, I'd be like, okay, that's a pretty decent game for them. But you are Conley Gillespie. You are a player of the year candidate, one of the best guards in the nation. And you pull up that style line with playing 36 minutes is unacceptable, in my opinion. Well, so. I think I think he got your – we'll go ahead and jump ahead because I think he got your, your notice or at least maybe understood it internally himself because we jumped to Saturday. Villanova, after winning the tournament on um, Thursday, was supposed to be done. Right, they're supposed to be back home, but because of this cancellations, Virginia Tech loses an opponent and everything. Uh, hold on, I got something playing in my ears. So, hmm? I hate these stupid videos that yeah, play automatically. I, I um, anyways, they were supposed to leave, but because of everything, they decided Villanova decided to stay one extra day in Bubbleville and play Virginia Tech. That's a good marquee game. Virginia Tech's not a bad ball club. They got a good coach in Mike Young. They can put up some numbers. But Villanova's favored. We have a massive upset to report that happened on uh, yesterday, actually. Yeah. In overtime, the Hokies moved to 2-0 and on the year. 81. Number three, Villanova, 73. Down goes Villanova. But if you look at the stat line... And we got to give a lot of credit to Virginia Tech. I don't want to take anything away from them. Real quick, Virginia Tech hit 10 of 20 from three-point line, 17 of 23 from free throw line. 
that's going to do it right there. Yeah. Um, but you look at Villanova. They played eight guys. Colin, Colin Gillespie did bounce back, Peyton. He had 25 points. Yep. That's a much better ball game. He played 43 minutes. His legs are shot after already playing a couple games. So I, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He did carry. But nobody else on Villanova. Jeremiah Robinson Erlang had 14. Jema- uh, Samuels had two. Moore, seven. Daniel stayed consistent. He played 40 minutes at 17 points. Off the bench, they played three guys, two of them which didn't even score. Dixon Slater didn't score. Cole Swider played 18 minutes, had eight points. My concern for Villanova, Peyton, and you already look at the stat line, they're relying on their top five right now. And a team that we thought was going to be so deep and so talented that could hit you from a number of ways, their top five guys are playing basically 35 to 40 minutes a game. They're getting only 15 to 20 minutes off the bench, essentially, in Cole Swider. And they're not getting that much production out of him. Villanova is in trouble, in my opinion, if they can't figure this out. If they can't figure out ways to develop a bench and ways to consistently get guys in double figures not named Gillespie and uh, Robinson Earl, Peyton, Villanova might not be as good as we think they are, at least early on. They might not. They're going to have to figure out their bench play, definitely. We talk about Gonzaga and their bench play. Villanova has the same problems as Gonzaga does. And I don't know. It's probably worse for Villanova than it is Gonzaga because they're only playing like Cole Swire had 19 minutes in this game. Brayden Slater had four minutes. Eric Dixon had two minutes. So, really, your only bench player come off the bench that's really worthy of doing anything is Cole Swire. 19, or 19 minutes, five rebounds, one assist, eight points. You lost by uh, 81 to 73. So, your bench players don't have to do better. Cole Swider can't do it coming off the bench. He's not a spark plug that can come off the bench and put up high numbers. Uh, you can't rely – even Justin Moore is a starter. He only had seven points. You can't rely on guys like Colin Gillespie and Jeremiah Robson Earl to do all the scoring for you. You have to have better production bench play-wise. So, who knows? Maybe they're just having a rough start and maybe – because they play a pretty – I mean – Virginia Tech is not a pushover. They play in the ACC Conference. Boston no. College is not really a pushover either way. They play in the ACC Conference, and they both gave each other games. And I'll see the Arizona State game. So they had like a – Yeah, they played a tough little road, and tough I get little that. Road, yeah. But, again, you can't rely on your starting five to get 35, 40 minutes every single night. No. You just can't do it. So we already have a massive upset on the year. Villanova, that's not the only one. Everything college basketball listeners, what's going on? It's Conrad Cushman from Everything Pro Wrestling. Everything Pro Wrestling is a show by the fans for the fans. And I'm here to let you know how you guys can catch up on all the latest and greatest in the world of pro wrestling. You guys can go to youtube.com, type in Everything Pro Wrestling, give us a subscribe. We are over a 1,000 subscribers now, and we have achieved a YouTube partnership If you guys want to be in the live chats, come on in, join us, and talk pro wrestling. We record AEW Dynamite every Wednesday. We also talk about WWE, Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and your local indies, and much, much more. So make sure you guys are subscribed to everything pro wrestling. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. All the live streams are transferred right onto there. But enough of me talking about pro wrestling. Let's get you back to listening to everything college basketball. Do it. So we already have a massive upset on the year. Villanova, that's not the only one. The first 
true one of the year. Um, well, not I guess not the first. It depends on how you look at it. It was an upset, and I called it. By the way, guys, if you go back to all my predictions from last week and when we did our game day live on Facebook, I'm batting a thousand right now. Every prediction I've given you so far has came true. So maybe you should listen to me. But in all, in all kidding aside, um, Wednesday night, San Diego State put a beating on number 22 UCLA for the first quote unquote official upset of the season or the year. San Diego State is not that much worse than UCLA, in my opinion. And uh, they proved it. I called it. I told you that was my bank on it. I told you what would happen. San Diego State suffocated UCLA. And the Bruins, uh, the two nights later against Pepperdine, had to go to overtime to beat them. UCLA right now, and it's the same thing that happens with Mick Cronin teams. Very, very good defensively. Struggle scoring the ball. I know they brought all this experience back. This is the reason. And do I think they'll get better? Yes. Should we overreact? No. We're only a couple games into the year. To me, this is why I didn't put UCLA to win the Pac-12. I go with a high-scoring offense over that suffocating defense all the time, just about, and that's why I had Oregon win in the conference. But that's neither here nor there. I'm not going to put too much into this loss, even though I predicted. I said uh, UCLA is going to get the job done against San Diego State. Uh, very impressive win by San Diego State. Congrats to them. Post-Malachi Flynn era, I thought they'd actually struggle, um, but they actually proved why they're still a good team. And real quick on UCLA, Johnny Drazon didn't play. They had a couple other players who didn't play, so they really wasn't fully loaded like they were. Um, like they probably should have been coming to this game. I feel like they were. They'd be a closer game. But I feel like they'd still would win. But I'm not going to pitch too much into this. Even though they lost this game by a lot, 73-58, and they almost lost to Pepperdine, had to go in overtime just to beat them. Like they're still struggling early on. So we'll see if they can put it back together. I'm still predicting them to win the Pac-12 Conference over Oregon. But who knows? It could be. It could get dicey in that Pac-12 Conference. Let's move on to Friday afternoon, post-Thanksgiving. The first official mega upset of the college basketball season. A very big surprise to everybody. Not in San Francisco. Part of the Home Light Classic in Bubbleville. Number four, Virginia, goes down to San Francisco, 61-60. Peyton, first of all, this was a tremendously fun game to watch. I mean, every time... You know, San Francisco would find themselves down the slightest. Virginia would, or sorry, San Francisco would make a run. Every time San Francisco would, all of a sudden you'd look up, they're up six points. Virginia makes a run. Tremendous game. But at the end of the day, Peyton, San Francisco does follow the game plan like I've told for years how to beat Virginia's pack line. If you're going to beat Virginia's pack line, think of all the teams in the last five or six years to do it. The Duke teams a couple years ago, Louisville last year, all these teams. Um, the upset, the Baltimore County sixteen over one over Virginia. Yeah, you gotta hit threes, and you got when you finally start hitting them, you've got to break them down off the dribble. That's exactly what San Francisco did. They hit thirteen threes in this ball game. 13 of 28 from the three-point line. They only shot four free throws. They took care of the basketball, only eight turnovers. They dropped 14 assists, which means they were moving the ball. They were hot with it, getting it to the open guy. And they were led by their superstar, in my opinion, uh, Jamara Bouye, 19 points, 
six assists, two steals, no turnovers. One of the stars of the week, in my opinion, in this upset. Him and uh, Shabazz for San Francisco had 14 as well. Great game plan by San Francisco. Red hot. Destroyed the pack line. And with Virginia and Villanova both losing this week, I just don't know what the hell to think about college basketball this year already. Josh, you know a lot about Virginia, as do I, uh, since I'm in my conference in the ACC, playing against Lola two times uh, every year. If I would have told you, because they lost 61-60, to if I would have told you coming into this game that Virginia, a top-ranked Virginia team, held a team to 61 points and lost, you'd probably think I'm crazy. Oh, Correct? yeah, for sure, yeah. You'd probably, you'd probably think I'm crazy. And it's still wild. Like, if their offense – I have the stat line up here. Kihei Clark only had nine points. Casey Marcel had four points. We speak, man, came off the bench at 11. Same house, they only had 10. Same house, had 10 and six. Justin McCoy had 11. Their offense was not good at all, and they still only lost by one point. So if their offense would at least played half decent, they probably would have won this ball game. But it's just so wild that San Francisco shot over 46% from three, hitting 13 of the 28 three-pointers against this Virginia defense, and still only was held to 61 points. Yeah. And Virginia losing. I would have thought a team like that, if Virginia held a team to 61 points, um, that they would have won the game. But – I was happy they lost, obviously. Uh, I'm not a Virginia fan. And super happy they lost. Virginia has to find out scoring-wise. Defensively, they're amazing, obviously, like they are year in and year out. But offensively, we speak, man. I mean, he did what he could. He played 27 minutes off the bench, 11 points, four rebounds. Hold Thomas Borden, 10 say. Go ahead. No, no, I'm just going to – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw something at you after one game of watch – two games now of watching them. I know Kia Clark's the experienced guy. I know he's won a national championship. But Chris Morse, or Morsell to me is the better scorer, so you have to leave him in, and he's a comparable defender. I think Virginia's offense looks way better with freshman Reese Beekman running the show and bringing Kia Clark off the bench. Every time Beekman was in against San Francisco, um, Virginia would make a run. Every single time. And this has nothing to do with us meeting, you know, watching Beekman up close and AAU, meeting his grandma, who's tremendously sweet. It just has nothing to do with that. No. If you watch, and I think they even alluded to it during <laughs> the game, and I think Jay Bills was on the call on this one. Every time Reese Beekman was in this ball, uh, ball game and Kihei Clark was out, or if they just had Beekman in running the show, the offense ran better. I think you got to go eventually Beekman at the starting, Kia Clark as the spark off the bench. And I know he's an experienced guy, and it was, but if you want to win and you want to get your offense to match up with your defense, Beekman is the better option because you're not going to lose anything defensively and you're going to gain stuff on the offensive end. Reese Beekman, to me, needs to be the starting point guard for Virginia moving forward. Here's the thing about Virginia that I'm concerned about, but also kind of happy about since I'm a little fan. We have to play them twice this year. Virginia, defensively, everybody I know is they're great. Their defense is going to keep them in ball games. Their defense is going to win them a lot of ball games this year. Their defense is probably going to keep them top three in the ACC, um, like a top 10 team all year round as well. But their offense has to step up at some point because their defense can't do everything for them. Even though I heard the thing like offense wins games, defense wins championships, and defense, uh, great defense can turn into great offense, stuff like that. You hear all their um, analogies and stuff like that. 
But eventually, the offensively, they're going to have to do something. Sam Hauser has to have a better game. He had 10.6 rebounds, played 34 minutes. He's going to have to have a better game. He's probably their best player on the on the uh, Virginia squad. Kihei Clark, he's a good defender offensively. He's probably a lot of a liability. Reese Bigman, 11 points, for rebounds. I was actually pretty impressed with him, the way he played. Thomas Wardentense, last season against uh, Laurel, he had a pretty good game. He can score and hit shots. He only had five points, played 10 minutes. Um, they're not very deep. Um, they need some better bench play as well. It seems like Villanova and uh, Gonzaga does. But Virginia needs better offense because even though they keep them teams like 61 points, they're still only scoring 60 points themselves. So they need better scoring if they want to actually like win the ACC this year and be like a yeah. Final Four contender. Yeah, but you got to feel good for San Francisco. That's a big time win for that program. To me, one of the best games of the weekend. Um, all around, and this is one of those, if you use a wrestling analogy, th- they may have lost. We may have had an official loser, but both these clubs came out winners this weekend. You go to the finals of the Bad Boy Mowers Crossover Classic in South Dakota. Number 15, West Virginia, 70. Western Kentucky Hilltoppers, 64. Tremendous game. Both these clubs had a grind to get there to the championship. Western Kentucky had to knock off <laughs> Northern Iowa, who, in my opinion, is favored in the NBC. Tucked down, tucked down Memphis, and they had to play West Virginia. West Virginia beat VCU. Um, oh, crap. Who was the other one that they had to beat? <clears throat> uh, I don't remember. I probably, hold on. I'll be pulling up. I'll pull West Virginia's schedule up. Uh, I just West, uh, San Diego State. San Diego was it San Diego? No. At San Diego State and VCU is like the first ones I see here. Then the West it was State. South Dakota State. South Dakota. Why did I say San Diego? South Dakota. Yeah, was, me. So they beat South Dakota State and VCU. I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. Um, so, but both these ball clubs, tremendous defensive um, grind. They will grind you out. They're very physical teams. This had a throwback feel type game to it. You had stars in the block. I know the game's transitioned to star guard play, but. And, and we did have that. We had some really good guards in this game. But, Peyton, this game was a battle of some of the best big men you're going to see all year in Charles Bassey, Oscar Shibway, Emmett Matthews Jr., Derek Culver, yeah. uh, Gabe Asabunye. Some tremendous front court action from these ball clubs. And what a game. West Virginia ended up pulling away the last minute and a half, two minutes, to secure a 70-64 win. But again, Western may have lost this, but I thought they were huge winners on the weekend. I thought they really put themselves on the map and set the pace of what how good they can be. They're making me very, very nervous coming up soon because coming up soon they have to play Louisville this weekend. That's making me super nervous to how lack of a depth that we have in the front court. And a guy like Charles Bassey is going to pound it inside like he did against West Virginia. He had 15 and 8 this game. The Memphis game he played very, very well as well. Yeah, Memphis, I've been on Memphis, sorry, real quick, because I wrote a thing down on Western after that game. Uh, my, my scouting report on Western, and it stayed the same after West Virginia. Tough-minded, experienced team. Bassey, unbelievable against Memphis. He had 21 points, 14 rebounds, seven, seven blocks. blocks. Seven blocks. Go ahead. To, I, since you brought it up, I figured I'd go ahead and drop that stat line. 
Yeah, he proved why I believe that he's the best mid-major player in the nation. He's a phenomenal player, NBA-level t- NBA prospect. Um, and talking about Western Kentucky, they always talk about Charles Bassey, but Tavion Hollingsworth had a pretty good game, 13 points, 3 assists. He had some big shots there. Uh, for West Virginia, though, Derek Carver had 15 points. Miles McBride had 14 points. Tash Sherman came off the bench, played 23 minutes, had 12 points himself. Oscar Shreve did what he could. He had seven boards, five points, uh, playing 17 minutes. Uh, West West Virginia squad, defensively, they're great. Offensively, they're actually not bad as well. Definitely can improve there. Isaiah, uh, Isaiah Cottrell only played four minutes. Jordan McCabe only played four minutes. So I expect those two players to get more uh, playing time coming up soon because uh, I feel like West Virginia can be very, very deep and talented this season with how good defensively they are. And they got NBA-level prospects and, like, Derek Culver and Oscar Shebray. That matchup between, like, Derek Culver and Shebray versus Charles Bassey was very, very fun to watch. Um, super impressed how well Western Kentucky played all week and super impressed how well West Virginia played all week as well. And West Virginia's uh, West Virginia's got a trio of front court players that big, physical, strong, and then two of the three can really get after you on the offensive end too, scoring the ball in a variety of ways. Derek Culver, Emmett Matthews Jr., and Oscar Shibley. That at the front line right there, that you, that's going to be hard to compare against because they play you so hard, man. Yeah, I agree. This was a good game, though. I had a lot of fun watching this game. It was back and forth and super uh, entertaining game to watch. And like you said, even though there was a winner and a loser, I feel like both of these teams came out winners. Yeah, uh, definitely Western this weekend up their profile. They're actually up at halftime, too, 36-33. Very, very fun game. Let's do a quick wraparound of all the other action um, throughout the week. Upsets. This past week. Hold up. Go ahead. You gonna let me talk about my boys real quick? We're gonna get to it. That's gonna be okay. part of the that's gonna be part of the wraparound. Just okay. relax. Just Let's relax. Don't you skip over that. Uh, just relax, okay? Um Navy upsets George Washington. And keep in mind, these are upsets to trained eyes like Peyton and I. Some of these you'll be like, okay, whatever. But Navy over George Washington is a pretty big upset. Abilene Christian over East Tennessee State. East yes. Tennessee State's one of the top three best teams in the SOCON. Abilene Christian put it on them. Drake goes into Manhattan, live the Little Apple, and takes down Kansas State 80-70. That's one of the games we were watching early on Wednesday and just blown away by how bad Kansas State looked. Mm-hmm. And how good Drake looked. I mean, got to yeah. give them credit. They look good. St. Francis, Pennsylvania upsets. Pittsburgh, 80 to 70. Peyton, no way. This Pittsburgh program, it's a far cry from what it used to be in 2010, 2011 when they were a one seed. Yeah, back when they was in the Big East and competing for one seeds and competing for Big East championships. Like, it's not that level of team anymore. And they really missing a guy, even though Xavier Johnson had 27 points and Tony had 20 points himself. And Julie, uh, Justin Champagne had 19 points as well. They're still missing a guy like Trey McGowan's on that team. To They're missing a them. whole lot. And, yeah. Um, oh, I had the wrong score. And that was the Drexel game. Excuse me. So, let me hold up. Uh, still, though, they're still missing Trey McGowan. Trey McGowan's is at yeah. Nebraska now, so I they're mean, still missing him. No offense to St. Francis, Pennsylvania, out of I think they're the Northeastern Conference, but they they should not be beating Pittsburgh by ten points. Not at all. It shouldn't happen. Here's another one that's very surprising in a way: Georgia State in overtime 
beat Georgia Tech 123 to 120. This is the Georgia Tech team, Peyton, that every one of us, us, the AP poll, the media poll, coaches poll, had predicted Georgia Tech to finish middle the top half of the ACC conference, and they took an L to Georgia State. They gave up 123 points. This is the Georgia Tech team. Josh Pastner has some experience, guys. In I mean, this is a pretty experienced Georgia Tech team. They gave up 123 and lost in overtime to Georgia State. Bad loss. Just giving up 123 points like that is just terrible, terrible loss. Um, I don't know. I don't think Georgia Tech will finish top half of the conference. I feel like they'll finish towards the bottom half of the conference. Just, I mean, they have a lot of guys that's coming back, and they have a lot of talent. It's just defensively, man, if they keep that up, the Dukes and the Florida States who can defend – they're, they're going to give them trouble. So I feel like they'll finish bottom half in the conference now and not a good loss. Um, how about this one? Arkansas. <laughs> I, this is unbelievable. Arkansas, we know they're going to be a good ball club. Um, we know that they've got a lot of potential, a lot of talent to finish towards the top half of the SEC. They opened their season up by beating Mississippi Valley State 142-62. to 62. They won by 80 points. Over another D1 school. Five, six, seven, eight. They had eight players in double figures. Yeah. They hit a school record, I think, 23s as well. I think they played the whole roster. At least yeah. one minute. Was this on Thursday or Wednesday? I'll have to go back and look now. This was on Wednesday. Okay, Wednesday. Do you have the stats pulled up? Because I think they hit like 23s, if I remember correctly. Yeah, they yeah twenty. They shot 43s and hit 20 of them. 50% from the three-point line. Connor Vanover led the way with 23 points, eight rebounds, and three 58 blocks. total rebounds, 28 off, or 20 offensive rebounds, 26 assists, 21 Jeez. turnovers for Mississippi Valley State. Wow. He's OP. Peyton, we have – shout out to uh, Derek Smith for coining this. Conference play already. Yes, sir. Opening, opening game of the <laughs> – Opening game of the year over for both these ball clubs, Oregon State 71, California 63. Worth, I'm going to butcher his name, but it's Worth Alachie. I butchered that, but he had 16 points, eight rebounds, two assists for uh, the Oregon State Beavers. Peyton, Oregon State's already 1 0 in the Pac 12. Damn. 71-63. Let me check that stats real, stats real quick. They shot 11 threes, 5 for 11, 45.5%. That's not bad. Uh, free throw line, they shot 22 free throws, 14 out of 22. This California team, um, terrible. They've been terrible for like the past three years now. Probably more than that. Um, but starting off conference play, I'm happy about it. I love conference play, even if it's Pac-12 conference. It don't matter. Conference play is fun to watch. So, I mean, good win for Oregon State, getting that uh, 1-0 dub, uh, being 1-0 in the Pac-12 conference. We'll see what they can do later on in the season. Yeah. Um, also, I forgot to mention another upset on the women's side. A lot of the women's teams took care of business. But first game post-Muffet-McGraw, Ohio upsets number 22, Notre Dame, on the women's side. You wonder if Notre Dame's going to take the route of other programs a la Tennessee. When they lose a historic, legendary coach, their program starts to take a nosedive. Um, first game post-Muffin McGraw, already taking an L to an unranked Ohio Bobcats team. 
Yeah, they only lost by one point, and they had some good play from their team. Dara Mabry uh, played 40 minutes, played the whole game, had 34 points. Destiny Walker had 16 points. Aina Peoples had 16 points. Maddie Westfield had 11 points. Um, I I don't know. Maybe they'll take – I mean, I hope they don't fall off because no Dame's actually been a good program, especially under McGraw. Um, not a good I, loss, though. Yeah. Um thought I had another one on here I was gonna talk about real quick but I can't seem to can't seem to find what it was so let's go ahead all all the ball clubs that were in our listening area real quick because I know we're going long in this segment but Kentucky opened up their season they played on Wednesday night against Moorhead State blew out Moorhead State it wasn't competitive from the start Kentucky wins 81-45 led 45-26 at halftime only gave up 19 points in the second half um box score real quick BJ Boston the freshman paced the Wildcats he had where's that he had 15 Devin Askew had 12 Terrence Clark had 12 the trio of freshmen started Olivier Starr had eight um only three rebounds and then Isaiah Jackson had nine. The Cats played literally everybody on the ben- or on the on the team. Uh, Davion Mintz had ten. Cameron Fletcher had nine. Dante Allen, thank God, it's so nice to get to see him. Yeah, play. that's true. Um, he came in and busted a three, hit a free throw. All in all, we knew Kentucky would do this, or at least we expected, right? We knew that Moorhead State would probably no be be no competition. But I am very very excited and. I know a lot of us in BBN and other people around the country, it opened their eyes because this Kentucky team, game one, we don't see this. We, we know Cal gets great defensive teams by the end of the year. We know they develop to be very good defensive teams by the end of the season's end. But this team, I've never seen one of his teams this young, this early, come out and just play this hard on defense. To me, after seeing that, I think Kentucky has the potential to be a top five defense in all of college basketball. I think you could throw them up there with West Virginia, Virginia, Texas Tech, Florida State. I think they can be that type good because they get after you. They they commit and they play hard. They get after you. Davion Mintz, in my opinion, is our leader already after game one. He didn't start, but his experience showed through. He helped slow down guys like Devin Askew, who's – End-to-end speed, he's a blur, but he gets playing a little too fast like a lot of freshmen do. Thought he's slowing down. He's by far our best shooter. When he lets the ball go, he's like Emmanuel Quickly. He's like Jamal Murray, Tyler Hero. You just think it's going in. Very impressed with the, the all the freshmen. Uh, Clark, I thought was good. I thought his jump shot was better than normal. B.J. Boston knew he was going to be a star. He just kind of played under control. When it was time to go score, he did. Um, like I said, talk about Devon – Dante, or shoot, um, I can't even think right now. Um, oh, my God, I can't even think. Isaiah Jackson, who I was trying to think of. Isaiah Jackson showed potential why he could be super athletic, good defender. You know, Olivier Saar had a moment. He had a couple possessions back-to-back where he had 13-foot uh, jump shots. Cameron Fletcher, not a great shooter, not known for being a great shooter. He's so big. I did not expect him to come be this big as far as body stature-wise. He did hit a corner three, but he just played so hard. If everybody on the floor, and everybody I thought played hard, but Cameron Fletcher was on loose balls. He was 
he he could honestly be the best defender on this Kentucky team because he bodies you up down low. He's very physical. He switched out on screens, moved his feet pretty well. By a season's end, he could be Kentucky's defensive stopper, meaning he could stop inside and outside, something we haven't had in a while. The only the one thing I'm concerned about is consistency shooting. Um, yeah, we hit some threes and stuff, but again, can we hit consistently even though we do have shooters? Physical teams, when we play Tennessee, when we play these teams that are just going to beat and bang on you, how well we can handle playing the physical teams, um, and then just playing under control. Like I said, Devin Askew is a blur from end to end when he gets going, but it comes with freshmen. You know, because when there's a time when Moorhead State went zone for a couple possessions, we looked sort of lost until we started dicing it. It's just when you play defense who switch, playing under control, if a team tries to press us, like, you know, not necessarily Louisville, but whoever. But physical teams playing under control and consistency shooting the three, I think all three are stuff that we will continue to get better at. It's one game. We're going to find out here in an hour just how good we are against Richmond. But I, I like what I see on this Kentucky team. It's hard not to be excited after one game. I'll, I'll let you be on your high horse for a little bit longer, at least for the remainder of the segment before I talk about my – really, I had a question asked to me uh, when we did our Facebook Live a couple days ago about this Kentucky team and something that I said um, that I'll elaborate on in the next segment where we talk about a preview of a certain game for Kentucky. But I'm going to talk about the good things about Kentucky. I feel like Kentucky's very versatile, uh, especially defensively. They got a lot of guys who are very athletic. Uh, I was very impressed. You talk about the freshmen. I feel like the most um, impressive or the most uh, – I don't know how to explain it. Like The most impressive I always was with a certain freshman was Isaiah Jackson. I was super impressed with how well he played. I feel like he could be a good uh, offensive player, and I feel like defensively he can do what he does as well. Um, super impressed with him, and I'll see guys like B.J. Boston and uh, Devin Askew and Terrence Clark actually played well too. Uh, Davion Mintz is y'all's best shooter. Him coming off the bench, he's that spark plug that Kentucky needs uh, to be successful this year. So him coming off the bench, hitting shots, he just – Phenomenal shop shooter, and that will pick Kentucky up there with one of the best teams in the nation, especially in the SEC conference. Um, Dante, I, I, I've seen a lot of people say that Kentucky can go possibly 10 deep. I don't think that would be possible. I feel like Coach Cal, especially when the season progresses, you'll probably only go like seven to eight deep. I don't think you actually go like 10 deep or anything like that. Guys like Cameron Fletcher, Dante Allen will get missed because if Devin asks you, gets in foul trouble. Dante Allen's a point guard, and he's going to have to have someone coming in there to um, – to handle that point guard position, and Dante Allen can do that. So I feel like he'll get minutes just because of that. But guys like Cameron Fletcher and guys like Lance Ware probably won't get that many minutes this season. Um, but who knows? Maybe we'll see. Maybe they will go 10 deep. We'll just have to wait back and see. But I was impressed with this Kentucky team, but I'll talk more about it later on, or at least in the next segment, about some certain stuff. But you got to talk about your team. I'm going to go ahead and take the reins to talk yeah, about go my ahead. team. Go uh, Friday, going to do this real quickly. Uh, Louisville faced our biggest test so far this season. We played against Evansville, blew them out, played very, very, very well. Played Seton Hall, final score, Louisville won 71 70. First off, this is the shout out segment. Uh, shout out to Ken Palm for almost correctly predicting this score because in the win of this game because they had Louisville winning 73 69. And Louisville actually won 71-70. So that was super close prediction on their part. So 
that was actually impressive. But now to the game itself, real quickly, this was a good game. Anytime Louisville would start to pull away, Seton Hall would give the ball to Sandro Mamakelashivli, uh, and he would hit a, either a big three or pound it down low on a big man. Bryce Egg, I, go ahead. I was just going to say, Miles Kale played a good game, and you felt for him not hitting that final free throw, too. Yeah, um, Bryce Aiken hurt his leg in the first half and was out for the whole game. Uh, Samuel Williamson hurt his toe and was out for the whole game. So both teams lost big pieces. And I want to say something real quick about I think is one of the most underrated guard duo in the nation. David Johnson and Carly Jones are phenomenal together. They really complement each other very, very well. Uh, I've got two cards I want to just shout out to that I'm very, very high I'm on after a couple probably, games. I'm probably getting to mention them, but I'll briefly mention them. You can probably talk about them more. Um, and uh, the freshman duo, Dre Davis and J.J. Trainer played very, very well in this game. And the game against Evansville as well. Uh, late go. game, Louisville was up three with a couple seconds left, and Queen Zelensky fouled a kid who was shooting a three, and he went to the line, made the first made the first shoot, and then missed the game tying free throw, and the cards ended up coming out with a hard fought win. Uh, real quick, JJ Trainer, I know you're impressed with him, as do I am. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. JJ Trainer has he needs to put on more muscle, but the kid is just he is so athletic. He reads. On ball screens really well, whether he needs to stay in screen and roll or slip the screen. Um, I, I'm impressed how hard he plays. He, he blocks shots. I think he can be a tremendous player for Louisville for the next four years. I, he's a very, he's a Kentucky kid. <laughs> I'm very high on him. Very, very impressed and happy to see how well Dre Davis from Lawrence Central played. We've seen him play in high school last year. He's gotten bigger muscle-wise. You can tell he's been in the weight room. Yeah, he's got the ability to be Louisville's, to my opinion, best three-point shooter, maybe even best scorer overall as the season progresses because he's got that size. He can shoot. Um, I was happy from what I've seen from those two. And I, another kid as a sophomore, he's starting to come in, finally getting to play more, actually more this year. Quinn Zielinski could be your I, – well, actually, I take that back. Dre Davis could be your best overall scorer. Quinn Zielinski could be your best shooter. He could be your Kyle Keurig. When he gets going in the corner and gets his feet set, it's money basically when he lets it go. Louisville's got pieces. I think we've seen with um, Seton Hall, until they get some of their bigs back, battle and front court issues is going to be a problem all year. But Louisville, once they put pressure on you, run the pack line, if they could consistently – score you know run the offense and not have lapses where they turn the ball over and sloppy because they did a couple times against Evansville and uh, Seton Hall learn to close games out Louisville could be really good this year without a doubt I'm super impressed with this Louisville team there's always some things we can work on uh but some of those things that we can work on like front court death is just out of our like it's not our fault because obviously Malik Williams is out for 12 months or for 12 weeks with an injury. So him not having him there definitely hurt. And I knew it would. So I'm not surprised that Sandra Mabakelashivi had a good game against us because I knew he would. Uh, Dre Davis, though, real quick, uh, he looks like a totally, completely different player than what we've seen him in that Lawrence Central versus Lawrence North game. What was it, a year ago? Yeah, he looks totally different. That game, Nigel Pack was probably the best player on that Central team. And right now, I'm just super impressed. He's gotten bigger. Dre Davis has gotten bigger. He's hitting some consistent shots from three, playing well defensively, and super impressed with him. So, Louisville came out with a 2-0, beat Evansville. They played 
uh, later today against Prairie View. Hopefully, Samuel Williamson gets to play. I don't know about his toe. It should be healthy. I mean, it's a hurt toe, but we'll see. Super. I'm I'm happy how well we played though. So moving on real quick because we're going real long in this segment, and I might actually break it up some during post, but. Uh, the two main Indiana schools everybody here follows. IU played one game this week against Tennessee Tech. They were the better opponent or the better team, and they showed it. They started off a little slow, but boy, once they got rolling, they went. They were up forty-eight nineteen at half. They gave up a little bit more in the second half, but they end up winning eighty-nine fifty-nine. Peyton, I'm very impressed. TJD after a little slow start, the first four or five minutes, turned it on like you expect a player of the year or a national All-American contender would. 26 points, 11 rebounds for the sophomore. I was very, very impressed with Rob Fennessy. He continues to get better and better. 12 points. Um, Indiana played a – they played a handful of guys off the bench. The guy I'm super impressed with, Trey Galloway, the freshman, 13 points. Did not even expect him to get a whole lot of minutes this year, but apparently he had a really good summer, really good offseason workouts. And, and he showed out against Tennessee Tech. He's a guy who can score. He's got good size. He could be a player for for Indiana. And then Christian Lander. If you look at the stat line, it says he played 14 minutes, five points, two assists, one steal. Didn't do a whole lot. But Peyton, if you watched the game when he was in the game, I thought he controlled himself. No turnovers, no personal fouls. He, he just played under himself for his first college game, came off the bench, they're working him in behind the experience, guys. I think Christian Lander played a good floor game, one for four from three. He only took five shots. As the season gets better, you know, progresses more and more, I expect him fully to get more minutes. His numbers go up. I thought even in this limited action, I thought he played really well. I was super impressed with him and Trey Galloway as freshman. I tell you what, Stephen Decker posted in the group about his personal top 25, and he had Indiana 25th. And I don't know who commented on it. Someone commented on it. I actually don't remember who it was. But I personally agree. Indiana's a top 25-level team. Uh, we had them in the preseason top 25 this season. We actually had them pretty high, like 18, if I believe correctly. Yeah. Uh, we had them pretty high. Uh, I just want to say keep sleeping on this IU team because they're going to make everyone regret it. The, the one thing Indiana's problem, and it still shows its head, the last couple of years, they've not been able to shoot the ball from three. They only went five of 19 from the three-point line. That's got to get better. They've got too many guys, in my opinion, that can have good three-point shooting form to only go five of 19. They have to get better than 26.3%. But other than that, I thought their defense was solid. I'd like their pieces. I, I think this Indian team is going to be as good as we think they are. Not a doubt. Purdue, real quick, they struggled against Liberty in opening game, but ended up pulling the way to win 77-64. Zach Eady, 19.5 rebounds. Um, he's a big kid. I mean, he is huge. Slow-footed, but a good defender, good rebounder, good shot blocker, can score down on the block. He just, he's got to improve his athleticism somehow. But And then they turn around the next night in the championship of this um, Space Coast Challenge. And Clemson ended up beating them because Clemson spread them out and hit a bunch of threes. Purdue couldn't get out and defend them. Purdue, I think, is going to be fine. They're one and one. They've, they've got a big front court. Zach Eady, uh, Tremont, or uh, is it Tremont or Tavion Williams? That's uh, Travion. Travion. Travion Williams. That's right. They're, they're huge down low. 
you know, but they they're gonna have to figure out. Brandon Newman plays all right. Stefan Stefanovic is obviously their best shooter. Aaron Wheeler. It was nice to see Mason Gillis get a play again. Ethan Morton struggled his first two games as a freshman, but Jaden Ivey's got a lot of potential. I think Purdue is a team of full of potential that can continue to get better and better. But they're gonna have to find their defense is gonna hang in there with them. But they're gonna have to find ways to manufacture points. Yeah, this loss of Clemson, I mean, it's not a bad loss. Clemson's going to be like middle of the pack in the ACC, so I wouldn't consider this a bad loss. You mentioned Purdue. Brandon Newman, he had a decent game, 15 points. Isaiah Thompson, 15 points. You mentioned Ethan Moore, he played 25 minutes, one rebound, five assists, absolutely zero points, and he's a scoring guy too. He's yeah. a guy who could stretch it out and hit threes, and terrible way to start the season for him. Not a good uh, – not a good start for him. Zero points, 25 minutes, just kind of trash. Aaron Willard had two points himself, played 24 minutes. Uh, offensively, Purdue's going to have to get better if they want to be better, if they want to do well in the Big Ten Conference this season and the rest of their games played in the regular season. But it's not a bad loss. I mean, Clemson's a decent team. Um, and real quick, hashtag fire payment. Yeah. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Um, Duke, Carolina, both open season up with wins as well, but – like I said, we went long in this segment, but we had a lot to cover. We're excited to break stuff down. We're going to take a break in the action. When we come back, we've got a monster slate of games this week. I'm talking monster slate of games that we'll preview. I promise it won't be as long as the reviews, but we got some big games we're going to talk about. You're listening to Episode 72 with Everything College Basketball Podcast. We'll be right back with you in just one back to episode 72 of the podcast i hope you guys enjoyed that segment we talked about all the recaps sorry we live but we lit a little bit too long but it happens first week of the season starts it's going to happen that way but we had some josh kind of mentioned already but we had some huge games this week and we actually have a huge game starting in an hour we got richmond going at kentucky number one number 10 ranked team in the nation kentucky wildcats um, this game is going to be very, very good. I'm actually very, very excited for this game for a lot of a lot of reasons. Uh, real quick on Richmond, kind of like I did a couple years ago with Seton Hall. I'm going to give Kentucky fans a warning just real quick because I know how good this Richmond team is. I have them and St. Louis competing against each other in Atlantic 10 Conference. I think Richmond is a very, very good team. And if Kentucky fans thinks – Richmond's going to come into Kentucky and Kentucky's just going to steamroll through Richmond. I guarantee you that's not going to happen. This is going to be a hard fought game. It's going to be a very, very close game uh, through the whole 40 minutes. And if it goes into overtime, it's still going to be a close game through there. And this Richmond team's a very, very talented team. They don't have Nick Sherrard, who toys ACL in practice, but they still bring back all four of the starters from last year's team who won 24 games, to be exact. Um, very, very talented team. They still got guys like Jacob Gilliard, Blake Francis, um, Grant Golden. They still got some guys who averaging double figures last season that's coming back this season. 
Um, they actually played against Moorhead State to open their season, like Kentucky did. Yeah. And those three guys, those four guys I just mentioned, all scored in double figures. So for Kentucky fans, do not sleep on this Richmond team. You're not going to see one of them because this game's going to be very, very tough for you. And it's your first real test. You play Kansas Tuesday, but this is your first real test um, to see how good Kentucky really is. And speaking of that, I kind of sort of mentioned it when we, Josh was talking about uh, his highs on uh, Kentucky. We had something – after the Kentucky win against Moorhead State – I don't know who posted it on Twitter, but Josh posted it on Facebook, and he based they basically said that name nine other schools that's better than this Kentucky squad, and I posted or I commented on it, just basically just laughing at the fact that I think this Kentucky team's good. I don't know if they're really good just yet, and I don't know if they're better if there's better than like the teams like Iowa, Illinois. Even though Villanova struggled, I still put them ahead of Kentucky. Even though Virginia lost, I still put Virginia ahead of them. And obviously, teams like Gonzaga and Baylor ahead of them. I still think this Kentucky team's good, but you got to look. They did look very impressive against Moorhead State, but you got to look at the competition they played against. Moorhead State, I don't know what their record was last season. Um, didn't really keep too many tabs on them last season, but I know watching that game, it wasn't very good. It wasn't really a competition for Kentucky, even though a couple possessions that went to like a one one gave Kentucky some fits, and then Kentucky started to dice them. Um, wasn't really a contest. Kentucky won by like 30 points, and you just got to look at the competition you played against. Wait until this Winchman game. That's why I told everybody. That's why I told Tony Kipper. That's why if told- – if- I know we're putting the, the cart before the horse here because I still haven't previewed it. If on this topic, say Kentucky dominates <laughs> Richmond today, does that change your opinion? Can you finally look at it and be like, all right, we, we've got a team on our hands here? Yeah. I have no problem coming on this show next week and admitting that Kentucky's a really good team. But I just, I just think I'm not saying that they're not good. I don't want people to get the wrong opinion of what I'm trying to say. I'm just trying to say, let's just hold back a little bit. Don't start making these comparisons like the top teams in the nation that I already mentioned. When they, the level of competition they played against, it's not even comparable. It's like Gonzaga who played against Kansas and Auburn. Even Villanova who played against Boston College, Arizona State, and Virginia Tech. Like, let's just calm down, wait till this Richmond game, and wait till the Kansas game because they got two big-time games back-to-back that's going to test them. And we'll see how really – we'll really see how good this Kentucky team really is coming into this season or coming into these next few games. But nonetheless, I'm very excited to watch this game. Tips off in the hour. I think it's going to be back and forth. Keys for Richmond. Number one, if Richmond wants to come out on top, they got to hit shots. They got to shoot a high percentage from three. Got to stretch Kentucky out. Um, make their bigs like Oliver Starr, Lance Ware, whoever it is, Isaiah Jackson. Make them come out, and you got to hit shots more in this ball game. Number two key for Richmond, don't allow Kentucky's bigs to get offensive rebounds. Keep Isaiah Jackson. Keep Lance Ware. Keep Oliver Starr off the glass because even the Kentucky guards really, because if you're playing for Kentucky, your guards have to come back and rebound as well. So keep Kentucky's, keep Kentucky off the offensive glass. Number three, make Devin ask you make plays himself. He's not really a scorer. He's more of a playmaker, although he can score um, and he can hit some shots as well, but he's primarily just a point guard, a temporary point guard. And, he needs – they need to make him make plays himself. They need to pressure him. 
possibly get him in foul trouble, make a guy like Dante Allen come on the bench who's more of a scorer, make him come off the bench, make him have to do some stuff. Um, but pressure Devin Askew, make him make plays, make him make mistakes, If which one wants to come out on top. For Kentucky, um, get out and run. I'm telling everybody this team is built to get out and run. You got athleticism through one through nine. You got nine players who's very, very athletic. This team is built to get out and run. I hope to see that into this game. If they do that, then this Kentucky team could be dangerous. Kind of like three years ago when they had Bam out of Bayou and like De'Aaron Fox and Leak Monk. Those teams got out and run. I feel like this team can do the same thing and be successful at it, especially when you have a guy like Devin Askew running the point for you. Number two, Oliver Saw has to dominate down low. He's, he's going to have to have a good game. He's going to have to hit some shots, hit some mid-range shots. But most importantly, he's going to have to dominate the boards. He's going to have to dominate down low. Uh, number three, we talk about bench play a lot, especially in the last, last segment. UK's bench has to play well, whether it's guys like Davion Mance coming off the bench, Lance Ware, Cameron Fletcher, whoever it is. Your bench points, your bench plays have to be good. You can't have, rely on your starting five to get all the points for you. Um, that's where the, the keys I have for both teams. Josh, go ahead before I make my final prediction. Hmm. Uh, hell, I don't know what to say. You just – I mean, you said everything. I don't even know what to say now. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, you just went on and on and on. But, no, no, this will be a good challenge for for the Cats. I, I'm trying to, to think in a way. Ken Palm has this uh, 77-69 Kentucky win. I think that's close to right, give or take a couple points. I think that's close to right. If you're Richmond, you got a couple keys, in my opinion. You have to hit threes. You, you're not beating Kentucky's size if you don't hit threes or back cut them. I don't know if that's Richmond's good game plan or not, but Kentucky, the way aggressive they came out against Moorhead State, there's back cuts available in an open lane, if you, especially if you spread the floor out, Princeton style it, there's back cuts all day. I think some form of that you have to run on offense to be successful. I think you have to get into the free throw line as much as possible. Get Kentucky in foul trouble, wear them down. And I think defensively, and I don't know if they're going to, I think you have to at least mix in zone. You cannot let Kentucky bully you inside. You either dribble drive to the rim or just a pure size like you're talking about on the offensive backboard. You have to, I think, just even start man and then switch the zone, confuse this young Kentucky team, make them shoot jump shots. Make Kentucky beat you by shooting jump shots. And if they do, then you tip your hat and move on because you're not going to beat them regardless. If Kentucky comes out and starts hitting jump shots on you, it doesn't matter who you are. It's over with. You're just not going to beat them, more than likely. So I think those couple things for Richmond, Kentucky, play within yourself. No matter what goes on, just play with under poise and patience, run when you have or you can get it. Um, like you were talking about, get run outs. Stay locked in defensively. You did it really well against Morehead State. The competition ups today. Lock in defensively. Be aggressive. Switch. You have depth, so don't worry about necessarily picking up fouls by trying to go for steals. We've been. We've no refs aren't going to call every tic tac foul. So take your chances. Get in there. Be aggressive. And then 
look to hit your open shots when you have them. Don't be so passive because there's going to be points in this game. More than likely, it's going to be tight, late. Play loose, play free. But I do like this Kentucky, obviously, in this matchup. I agree with Ken Palm. This is about an 8-10 to 10 point spread at the end of the game. Um, I like the Cats actually putting up 82. I, I'm going to say Kentucky 82, Richmond 71. Um, like close in that Ken Palm range. I, I just think as good – if Richmond had Nick Sherrard, arguably their best player, then this is a way different ballgame. I still think Kentucky would won, but I think it's a way different ballgame. But if I just see Kentucky playing defense – and when it's needed, I do think there's going to be mental lapses, but I see them playing defense when needed the way they played against Morehead State. And because of that, Richmond can't handle that pressure. So the the Cats win. I think the MVP of this game is going to be Davion Mintz because he's experienced. He's been there. He's done that. He's going to handle the pressure Richmond brings at him. And I think he has a really good ball game. I think it's a little bit closer. Um, I still think Kentucky wins. I mean, a lot of people probably think I'm going to pick Richmond to win this game. You know, uh, I like this Richmond team. You kind of mentioned it. Nick Sherrod not having him. It's going to be tough for them to win. Even though teams like this, they normally play the best when they play against Kentucky. They normally, if they don't really shoot the ball well from three, they're probably going to shoot the ball well from three when they play against teams like Kentucky. Happens with Louisville as well. Um, so I feel like Richmond's going to hit some shots, especially early on. I feel like this game would be close, about a five-point game. Um, I still think Kentucky wins, comes out with their victory. Kentucky wins 76-73. Going to be a good game, though. I'm excited. Uh, another big-time ball game, or maybe even the game of the day today. Um, number 14, Texas Tech. Number 17, Houston. We got a Texas size showdown in Fort Worth, Texas, and Dickey's <laughs> Arena today. Ken Palm favors Texas Tech 7168. They also have the thrill score, which to them predicts the most exciting close game of the day. This matchup, I'm very high on both ball clubs. After seeing them, they're both two and zero. both had a good weekend. Texas Tech, Mac McClung is ingratiated himself in this Texas Tech culture, has led the Red Raiders in scoring both games. Marco Santos Silva, as um, Seth Greenberg said yesterday about him, he, he gets a double-double just walking off the bus. He's been, fan- <laughs> yeah. he's been fantastic. Um, um, Namari Burnett, the, the, the highest-rated recruit of all or ever in the program's history, he's been coming off the bench, which I think is a smart idea, honestly, because – you don't really need him to start right away. You don't need him to start because you have Mac McClung, because you have um, Kyler Edwards, Terrence Shannon Jr. You have some experienced guys ahead of him. Ease his way in. Jamarius Burton. But Namari Burnett's averaging about 19 and a half minutes a game, five points a game. He, he's playing like a freshman. Yeah. But that's going to get better as time goes on. Texas Tech's shooting 40.5% from three right now. They're lighting up the nets, shooting 74% from the free throw line. Their defense is on point. They're 19 assists a game. They're averaging 92.5 points a game. This Texas Tech team is the real deal. Their defense, I think, is going to be key against Houston. But you can't you, – you got to give Houston a lot of credit. This We talked about it preseason. I argued and vouched for them to be in the top 25 for a reason. Marcus Sasser averaging 17 and a half games 
are 17 and a half points a game to lead Houston. Uh, Quentin Grimes averaging two assists a game. This is going to be a very even matchup. If you look down the rosters, both the backcourt, frontcourt experience, the way they shoot, um, this is a very, very even matchup in my opinion. I, you know, I like Texas Tech slightly in this. I like Tech by about two or three points. It might even come down to a buzzer beater. Yeah, uh, Ken Palm has Texas Tech winning 7168. Uh, I think Texas Tech is actually I I have Texas Tech winning 79 to 73. Um, the reason I have Texas Tech winning is because Houston is a good team. They have good players on their team, but they do not. They have a good offense. I think they're ranked 13 for an offensive efficiency on Ken Palm, but they don't have a high level defense like Texas Tech has. Texas Tech defensively. Uh, the ranked third in defensive efficiency and the ranked 14th in the offensive efficiency. So not only they're locking teams up, but they're also scoring the basketball as well. You mentioned them shooting for over 40% from three. They got guys who can defend. Namari Burnett's the highest rated freshman to ever come to Texas Tech. He's a good offensive player. He can defend as well. He's a good point guard. Marco Santos Silva is a good player. Mac McCunn's a superstar who can actually drop 20 any given day. Um, this Texas Tech squad's very, very impressive, and I know it's two and zero. I this is there. This is going to be a good game, but I think Texas Tech gets the job done. And I feel like coming into this year, a lot of people disrespected Texas Tech by having them ranked 14th. I personally thought they was a top five team. I, I personally have them still winning the Big 12 Conference um, over West Virginia and over Kansas and even over Baylor. So. I think this Texas Tech team is very, very good. They're very balanced offensively and defensively, and they'll handle Houston. 78 to oh, 79 to 73. Texas Tech wins. Red Raiders. Moving on to Tuesday, we have a couple marquee matchups. The Always a fun deal, the Champions Classic. In Indianapolis on Tuesday night, 9.30 tip-off, we have Kentucky-Kansas. Ken Palm actually slightly favors Kansas in the matchup, 74-72, after seeing both ball clubs. And we'll have to see how Kentucky looks coming out of Richmond. But I do favor the Cats because Kansas' inability inside right now. I think Kentucky's defense, Oliver Saw or Olivier Sartre and Isaiah Jackson could have a big-time day against Kansas. Um, and, and I like the Cats slightly in that matchup. I like Kansas winning. Uh, I feel like the correct – the score, I agree with Ken Palm. Around that range, 70, they have a 74 72. I feel like it could be close to range. I'll say about 71 to 69. Kansas wins. I was very impressed with how well Kansas played Gonzaga in the second half. Uh, they have more experience than Kentucky does. Front court, Kentucky definitely has probably the better front court. Uh, definitely got Olivia Saw is definitely better than uh, McCormick and Mitch Lightfoot. So, front court, it goes to Kentucky. Back court, uh, Kansas has the best defender and uh, Marcus Garrett. If Christian Brown plays the way he get, plays the way he played against uh, St. Joe's, uh, if he can play the like, same level, hitting shots, not I'm not saying dropping thirty points, but if he can hit shots, get like twelve points, then this Kansas squad is going to be very very good. And I like Kansas winning out, squeaking out a victory, seventy one sixty nine. I'm interested in the athletic matchup. It'll be fun watching Terrence Clark versus Oche Abaji in that one. Another thing, I didn't really talk about this Gonzaga game. Talking about a freshman, I mentioned in the first segment. Talking about freshmen, I was actually impressed with how well Bryce Thompson played. He only he only had like eleven points and like a couple assists, but like 
he didn't really turn the ball over. He hit some shots. And defensively, he did what he could against the guys like Jalen Suggs. But I was actually pretty impressed with how well he played. So I feel like having him and a sophomore Christian Brown who's hitting shots, Marcus Garrett's actually developed into a, a just scorer, <clears throat> hitting shots as well. So I think Kansas will pull out the dub. The other one in the Champions Classic, Duke, Michigan State at Cameron Indoor Stadium. Ken Palm favors Duke 78-74. I'm going to lean that way as well. Um, Michigan State does have an X factor, though, if he can get rolling, in my opinion, in um, Joey Hauser, the other Hauser brother. He's, he's played well early on for Michigan State, but where are they going to manufacture points? I know Rocket Watts. I know a couple other pieces, but I, I still don't know where they manufacture points consistently. I don't think Duke's a great team. But after seeing what Jalen Johnson was capable of doing his debut, Matthew Hurt played a little better. Um, Wendell Carter, I think Duke has too many weapons. They play at home. You get to get to play in their familiar surroundings. I like Duke by about eight, eight to ten points spread in that matchup. This game's gonna be close. I'm actually gonna go pull. I'm gonna pull because you're talking about guys who can get hot. I forgot about this at the start of the season, but Michigan State has Joshua Langford, and when he gets high, it's hard to stop him. Yeah, he. I was looking. He only at had him. eight. He, yeah, eight ahead. against Notre Dame last night, and then in the, his return, which this is such a good story. I'm glad he's getting to play. He had ten, so he he's averaging nine a game right now, which is about normal. But you know, the the guy for Michigan State right now is Foster Lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Foster Lawyer and Joey Hauser. You think about Joshua Langford, though, like it's 10 points his first game, eight points in the second game. It's been like, what, like 600 days since he's actually played a competitive game, like over yeah. two years or something like that. Yeah, I know he's got to shake the rust off. Yeah, like, he definitely got to shake the rust off. But this game, he can catapult, and when he gets high, he just needs to see a couple buckets go in, a couple shots go in. And when he gets high, it is hard to stop him. And Walker Watts coming off had 13 points in the Notre Dame victory. Malik Hall's a good player. AJ Hargett's a good player. I think Michigan State, maybe Cisco. I think Michigan State, I like this Michigan State squad. Josh and Will Langford's have a good game. Joe Hauser is going to have probably 20-plus. Aaron Henry's probably going to have 15. I like this Michigan State. In a close one, probably low scoring, I'd say Michigan State wins 70 or 68 to 62. Wow. Okay. Um, now we move on. Peyton, on Wednesday, we have a monster game monster game let me pull up the ken palm what what's old kenny say here is it wednesday hold on do i have my dates wrong here um no where's it at let me see i thought it was wednesday regardless the game is west virginia versus gonzaga Oh, my Jesus. <laughs> That's all I can say. I mean, we've seen how good West Virginia's look. We talked about their front court. We know how Gonzaga's depth and then their ability to score. This is going to be literally great defense versus great offense, Peyton. If West Virginia can match up, they'll, they'll be right there with them in size. If they, if they can keep it a low, stuck-in-the-mud, grind-it-out, beat you up kind of game and keep it in the the 50, 60 point range, even early seventies, West Virginia can pull the upset off. 
if Gonzaga, if they allow Gonzaga to get off and running and turn on the Jets, I think they can get blown out of the water. Because of that, because offense normally beats great defense, Gonzaga, in my opinion, wins this game. Corey Kispert will pull some of these West Virginia athletic bigs away. Because who does – the thing about Gonzaga, they don't have any guys that's going to post you up like West Virginia does or – you know, beat you up on the block. They have bigs who are like six eight, six nine, six seven that can go inside and attack you off the balance and pull the three, like a Kispert, like a Drew Timmy. Who like who's Derek Culver going to come out there and match up on? Because whoever it is, it's a mismatch out on the perimeter. If it's inside, he's got the match. That's why I think Gonzaga wins this game. I think they're going to put up an 80 spot. I think Gonzaga wins 82 to 57 or no, not 57, 67, a 15 point victory. But if West Virginia can keep the pace that they want to run the shot clock down, hit shots, get to the free throw line, grind it out defensively and just suffocate and frustrate Gonzaga, they can definitely have the talent and the ability to pull off the upset. But I just, Gonzaga's too much right now. To beat Gonzaga, you have to not only be a great defensive team, but you have to be able to be a really good to great offensive team as well. And West Virginia is only one of those two things right now. Yeah, that's a good point. I was going to mention the same thing. West Virginia, obviously, defensively, they're amazing. Uh, this is going to be, by the way, Gonzaga, this is going to be their toughest test um, coming into this year. This is probably going to be the best defensive team they play all year round, pretty much until they probably get to the, the March Madness. Um, if, if they match up against Virginia, like Texas Tech or anything like that. West Virginia is going to be a test for them, especially defensively. And you already mentioned it. West Virginia, defensively, they're great. Offensively, they don't have an offensive juggernaut to go out there and get you like 20-plus. Gonzaga has like three players you can do that. They have Suggs, Timmy, and Kispert. You mentioned it. Great offense beats great defense. Gonzaga comes up on top. I like Gonzaga winning 83 to 70, 75. Also, this is just a week full of big games. Illinois versus Baylor on, I think this is Wednesday. Yeah. Illinois, Illinois, Baylor in Indianapolis on Wednesday night. Peyton, this is a huge matchup. We didn't talk much about Illinois in our reviews, but this is a team that's putting up huge numbers. I know that they – they put up 120-some in their first game. They put up 90-some in their second game. And then they almost got beat by Ohio. But this is a team. They've got freshmen and Andre or Adam Miller and Andre Corbello playing well. Aodon Suma's playing well. <laughs> Kofi Coburn. Like, this whole Illinois team is just scoring the ball at will. Their defense has to be better, especially against a Baylor team who's got a ton of weapons, even without Tristan Clark, Jared Butler and company. But this will be Baylor's biggest challenge as well as Illinois' early on. Baylor's known for their defense. We know that they got a top-10 defense last year, going to be arguably the same way this year. Dealing with some COVID issues with their head coach and everything. Don't know if he'll be back before this game. I'm not tipping my hand yet, but I'm just telling you, Illinois can play with this team. They, Ken Palm's got Baylor favored 76-71, but I'm just saying Illinois could play with this team. This will be a fun one. This is 50-50 for me. This is like a flip a coin, whichever side it lands on this team I'm picking. And the team I'm picking is Illinois. I love this Illinois squad. You mentioned Kofi Coburn dominating the glass. 
huge piece for them. Andre Cobello, freshman, doing well. Adam Miller came out and had like 25 points in his opening game, uh, had like 15 like the next game. And A.U. Donsuma, who's a player of the year candidate, him and like Luke Garza, phenomenal player. She's averaging like 25 a game right now in his first three games. This is going to be very, very tough for both teams. It's, Baylor didn't get to open up the season against Arizona State. I picked Arizona State to beat them. I am keeping to my same concept. This is Baylor's first test, as it is Illinois' Illinois' first test as well. I love – Illinois probably has – besides Gonzaga, Gonzaga has the best offense in the nation. Illinois is up there with the best offense. They're putting yeah, they can, numbers. They, they are putting, can me, score the ball, bud. Yeah, they put up 122 on North Carolina, A&T, and T. Uh, put up 97 Chicago State and then uh, 77 Ohio. All three of those games, Don Suma had over like 25 plus, and I feel like we'll have like 20 plus again. He's gonna be the best player on the floor, even though Jerry Butler's on there as well. This day is gonna be close. I like the prediction of, well, I like the score wise, but I have the wrong team winning. A lot of the opposite team. I have Illinois getting the job done, winning 74 to 71. And you talk about Illinois' turnaround. They were at the bottom of the Big Ten last year in three-point percentage. Going into the Ohio game, they were shooting 41% from three. They're I mean, 46.9 right now. Yeah, Adam Miller, the freshman, averaging 18 points a game, shooting 47.1% from three. They are lighting it up right now in Champaign. That'll be a fun one. We got another one. It's for the Battle of the State of Wisconsin on Friday, uh, Friday evening, Wisconsin versus Marquette. Ken Palm has this a one-point victory for Wisconsin, Peyton. Although Marquette doesn't have the pieces they had in the previous years, they still have Theo John. They still have a couple interesting guys, and they're playing at home. They'll look to defend home court. It's a rivalry game. Anything can happen with or without fans there. Still anything can happen. But Wisconsin, too experienced in my opinion, grind you out too much and then at the end they have Nate Rivers when Marquette doesn't I'm a, I'm in agreement with Ken Palm though I've got this a one-point game as well but I do favor Wisconsin as well as do I I think Wisconsin gets your job done it's gonna be a close game I have Wisconsin winning 74 or 73 to 68 um it's gonna be a close game it's gonna be a hard fight game Marquette they have a defensive stopper in Theo John you already mentioned they also have a really good point guard DJ Cotton who played Ohio State last season who's a four-star guard Who's going to run the control the um, control the offense for Marquette? I think Marquette's going to do very well in this game, but it comes down to Nate Rubens is going to be the best player on the floor, and he's going to have a good game. So Wisconsin gets the job done, seventy-three sixty-eight. And then finally, Saturday, arguably the game of the the game of the year so far, especially if both teams get through the challenges that they'll be possessed with earlier in the week. Saturday afternoon, twelve o'clock tip time in Indianapolis. Number one, Gonzaga. Number two, Baylor. Ken Palm favors Gonzaga by two points. Peyton, both these teams have challenges throughout the week. Gonzaga has to play West Virginia. Baylor has to play Illinois. And then they meet on Saturday, a one-versus-two matchup. This will be a fun one. Baylor's defense and athleticism. This is one of those teams that have the ability to play with Gonzaga because of their defense, because of their athleticism. They can score the ball. They have a superstar and Jared Butler. Uh, Macy Oteague at the point guard can match up, in my opinion, or at least defensively can control Jalen Suggs. Again, you know, to me in this matchup, Drew Timmy, if he plays well, Gonzaga wins. 
because Baylor doesn't. Baylor can match up. Macy O.T. can handle either Nimhard or Jalen Suggs. Um, Jared Butler can match up with Corey Kispert just fine. But does Baylor, how will they match up with a guy like Drew Timmy? I think if he plays well, Gonzaga wins. If he doesn't play well, then I think Baylor wins. I think it's as easy as that. Or if one of the superstars just absolutely goes off, say Butler goes for 40-piece or Suggs or Kispert goes for a 35-40-piece, then that team wins. This could be a very even matchup, a very fun matchup. I'll still say Gonzaga by a little bit. I think by three or four points, but I think this is as even matchup, especially early on in a one-two that you can possibly get. This is so close. I actually don't have a score prediction. I have the winner, uh, the person. I have a prediction for like the winner who's going to win this game. But I do not have a score prediction for this game because I feel like it's going to be so close. It's going to be hard to predict the score or even the scoring frame. Um, this is going to be a very very tough. A tough battle for Gonzaga to face. They play West Virginia defensively. They're going to give them problems. And then they have to turn around and play Baylor, who's defensively, they're great as well. Offensively, they're, probably, they're definitely better than West Virginia. They're going to be a more deep, talented team than West Virginia is. And Baylor's going to give Gonzaga problems. I'm actually going to go with Baylor in this one. I think Jared Butler's going to have a good game. I think, kind of what you said, if Jaren Suggs, Drew Timmy, and Corey Kispert, like they did in the Kansas game, all have 20-plus, and Gonzaga wins. I feel like Corey Kispert will have 20-plus. I don't think Jalen Suggs and Drew Timmy will have that good of a game. They'll have a decent game, but they won't have a good game. Jalen Butler is going to have 20-plus. Macy Oteague is probably going to have almost a double-double. guy like a Davion Mitchell is going to have a good game uh, coming off the bench. Um, I like this Baylor squad. Even though I had them starting the season 0-1 against Arizona State, I have them beating Gonzaga in a super, super close one. Like I said, no score prediction. That's that's how close this game's going to be. So I have, I have Gonzaga taking the L. We already have a number one versus number two matchup this early in the year. It's crazy. Shit. Looking at all these matchups, we're set for an incredible upcoming week. Peyton, as we start to wind down the show finally, we got to hit some of our superlatives and stuff, some of our favorite things. Peyton, let's bring in shout outs. Yes, for, sir. For me, I've got a couple. First shout out, Mrs. or Ms. Chastity Patterson from the Kentucky women's team. In their only game this week, opening game of the year, she goes for 30 points, eight steals, six rebounds, three assists, and the blowout victory of Murray State. What a, I mean, there's not much more you can say. She played a tremendous floor game. I thought she was the leader, especially in the absence of Ryan Howard being suspended. She played tremendous. I mean, that's a crazy stat line. 30 points, 8 steals, 6 rebounds, 4 assists. That's called stuff in the stat sheet right there. My second shout-out, mentioned just a couple minutes ago, Adam Miller, the freshman from Illinois. Averaging 18 points a game, shooting 47.1% from three, 80% from the foul line in his first three got games in college. He wasn't even supposed to be the star of the freshman. It was supposed to be Andre Corbello. And Adam Miller's playing as well as any freshman in the country right now. Another freshman I'm shouting out is debut game. They beat Coppin State by 10 points. Shh. 
Jalen Johnson from Duke. I think I had him as my freshman in the year in the ACC. 19 points, 20 rebounds, 5 assists, 4 blocks. As a freshman in his debut, you could not think of a better start to your college career. One of my last shout-outs, and we forgot to mention this game in the reviews because I predicted this one as well. Shout-out to Javante Perkins from the St. Louis Billikens. 32 points, 5 assists in the win over LSU yesterday afternoon. Tremendous game, by the way. I mean, as great as we all expected it to be, St. Louis is the real deal. Javante Perkins went off against LSU, 32 points, 5 assists. And then my final shout-out to the city of Indianapolis. This week, you get a Banker's Life Fieldhouse gets to host three tremendous high-ranked games. They get to host Kentucky, Kansas, Illinois, Baylor, Gonzaga, Baylor. All top ten matchups, all crazy potential games, all, all big-time games in the city of Indianapolis at Banker's Life Fieldhouse this week. So there's my shout-outs for episode 72. Going to my shout-outs, I have three, but I have I added a fourth one just for a fun one, just because it's funny. Um, starting off from number one, though, shout-out to San Francisco for upsetting the fourth-ranked team in the nation, Virginia. This is a huge win for like a program like San Francisco. You never know where like a huge win like this can take your program. Um, even if you don't really make the tournament this year or you really don't have success, you'll always be able to say you upset a top-ranked top five team in Virginia, just like UMBC can have that moment of saying that it was a first 16 seed to be a one seed. So shout out to them. Um, Josh Christopher is my next shout out. Uh, Josh Christopher from Arizona state for dropping a 28 piece on Villanova. Like I said, of all the freshmen that had really good games, and there was a lot of good freshmen. You mentioned Jalen Johnson, DJ Stewart had a good game. Obviously all the Kentucky freshmen had good games as well. He was probably the most impressive besides like a guy like Jalen Suggs. He impressed me the most. Um, 28 uh, points when a guy like Remy Martin, the best player on the team, only had five points. He stepped up in his debut game against a tough Villanova squad um, and dropped 28 points. My next shout out, uh, Queen Zielinski from Louisville. Queen Zielinski played very, very well, and that just surprised me a lot. He was a three-star coming in to last year's team, didn't get any minutes at all. Um, and this year, he got minutes. He's actually starting for us. And he had good games against Evansville. He had a good game. He had a good game against Seton Hall. If he can, he can definitely be a calculated type. He has a good form. He's hitting consistent shots from three, which is nice. Um, he's plays hard defensively. He tries his best. And I'm very happy the way Queen Zelensky is playing for Louisville. And my full shout out, it's a funny one. Uh, NBA 2K21 came out, like, what, a couple months ago, something like that. And yeah. Josh got it for um, PlayStation 4, and we game share, so I can download games without actually paying for it, which is nice. And they, on the My Career, which is the most popular mode, they, you're, it's basically like a storyline, the whole journey. You take your, you create your player, and you go through a whole journey, you go through high school, through college, to the NBA. And high school, you start as a one star. You have to work your way up to get offers. There's only like eight college schools. 
I'm not going to name all of them because I actually don't remember them on the top of my head. But all of them was like power, they're all in like big time conferences, like Pac-12, ACC, Big E, stuff like that. So all of them's good choices. And my guy was like a six foot one point guard. I try to make him as realistic as possible, just a little bit more taller. Um, I ended up committing to West Virginia as a four star. I led the Mountaineers to their first title in school history. I dropped like my last three games. I dropped like 28 points on Florida, 32 points on UCLA. And on the championship game against Villanova, I dropped like 29 points and we ended up winning that, winning the national championship. And then I got drafted sixth overall to the Utah Jazz. So I'm playing with Donovan Mitchell, which is nice. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a fun shout out. It's not really a shout out, but it's just a funny one just to talk about. Oh I, led, I led West Virginia to the first national title. So you're <laughs> welcome for that. Um, <laughs> That's all my shout-outs, though. So we're bringing back an, a segment, and it's not it's going to be a little different because it's too early to do a sinking ship. That just would not be fair and right for people in our position. So we are bringing in shooting stars and cause for concern. Sinking ships will give it a month <clears throat> before we start determining who's, you know, on a downward slide. But this is cause for concern. Shooting stars, we have three teams on the list. Gonzaga, West Virginia, Western Kentucky. In our eyes, these three schools this past weekend, opening weekend, elevated their stock to, to a higher level, I guess. I mean, you look at Gonzaga, West Virginia, and Western Kentucky after this weekend, you see three really good ball clubs. Yeah, without a doubt. Gonzaga, I mentioned earlier – they proved to like a guy like me who had their doubts about coming into the season. Could they win? A, could they be a Final Four contender team? Are they really the number one team in the nation? They proved without a doubt against the big time win against Kansas and the dominating performance against Auburn. They proved why they're the best team in the nation. Sure, they might have some bench problems, but it's early on. I feel like they'll probably get that figure out when they get into the uh, West Coast Conference play and they'll dominate that conference. So right now it's pretty self-explanatory that Gonzaga's the best team in the nation and deserve to be on this list. Western Kentucky, they definitely elevated their stock. I knew coming in Charles Baskey was a very, very good player, NBA prospect, NBA level type player, had a good body on him, definitely is a double-double machine. Um, I was very impressed with how Western Kentucky played this week. Even though they lost to West Virginia, they definitely played well, and they definitely uh, raised their stock in college basketball. And West Virginia, they are great as well. So, And then the cause for concern, we have four teams on this, three men's, one women's. And, again, this doesn't mean that we think that uh, the, the sky's falling. It's just kind of like, oh, oh. I mean, it's exactly what it says, cause for concern. Villanova, Memphis who started that first game, we thought, boy, okay, here they go. And then the last two, they took L's and didn't look near as good. UCLA, we've already mentioned why. And then the Notre Dame women's team, we already mentioned why. Those four schools kind of definitely don't hit the panic button, but just kind of, like, oh, God, they've got some holes they've got to figure out real quick. Yeah, and Villanova is the one that stands out the most for me because coming into this year, I thought they was actually the best team, the number one team in the nation. Definitely top five, without a doubt. And – even though they had like a tough stretch, the tough three games against uh, Boston College, Arizona State, and um, Virginia Tech, they're still not performing at the level as a top level team like Gonzaga is right now, and Willie Baylor. So I wouldn't hit the panda button just yet, but there is a lot of concern, especially with their depth, uh, especially with their bench play. So, 
So that's that. Let's end this show the right way, Peyton. Let's do a little bank on it for the boys and girls. Yes, sir. We both went one and zero so far on this year on bank on it. Looking to go two and zero on the year. I didn't quite give my prediction. I just said that they have a chance. But my bank on it for Travis Cowan out there in Indianapolis on Wednesday evening. Illinois, 87. Baylor, 78. Line I pick up the victory. Solidify themselves as a top five or six team in college basketball right now. Bank on that. I like it. I actually agree with you on this one. Like, uh, last one, I didn't agree with you, and you got it right. So I'm actually going to agree with you on this one. I feel like Illinois gets the job done. Uh, I have two bank on it. One for the men's and one for the women's. Oh. Starting off with the men's, I have Louisville. They have a big game against Western Kentucky this Tuesday night. Uh, it's going to be a definitely a big-time test. Uh, we mentioned Western Kentucky's on our uh, shooting stars right now, definitely playing very, very well. It's a game I'm very, very worried about. But, like, I have Louisville defeating Western Kentucky, finding a way to get past the front court death of um, Charles Bassey. Charles Bassey's probably going to have a double-double. He's going to give us problems like uh, Sandro Mamakela-Shevely did. But just like we did against Seton Hall, I, find a, I, I feel like uh, guard play between Johnson and Carly Jones, we'll find a way to get out, come out with a W, even if it's a close one like it was against Seton Hall. We'll find a way to come out with a W. I guarantee you that. So, bank on it. Louisville defeats Western Kentucky this Tuesday night. And my second bank on it, it goes to the women's side. You talk about all the big games coming this weekend or this week. This, this is the biggest game in women's college basketball to start off the season. You've got the number eight ranked North Carolina State Wolfpack taking on the number one ranked team, South Carolina, this Thursday. It's going to be a huge game. I think it tips off around like 7 p.m. around that. I actually forgot the time on that. But it's a game I'm definitely going to be watching. It's a game that everybody should be watching. If you don't like women's play, this is a good game to like get you into watching women's college basketball. But – Bank on it. North Carolina State defeats South Carolina this Thursday. Real quick, I'm actually going to play something because (laughs) North Carolina State gets the job done this Thursday. It's going to be a good game. I like this North Carolina State team. North North Carolina State gets the job done. Bank on it. Wow. Okay. Okay. Wolfpack on top. I see you, but man, what I'm just so thankful that college basketball is back that we have all these crazy games that coming up this week and just blessed, blessed to do this. But with that being said, we're going to wrap up episode 72 of the podcast. Kentucky's getting ready to tip off in six minutes against Richmond, so I need to get our eyes glued to this. So we can talk to you guys about it and (laughs) go live on Facebook or wherever we got to do. But we appreciate you guys for listening. Happy second anniversary to everybody out there as part of the ECB family. We appreciate you. We love you. But wrapping things up, I'm Josh Burton. My name is Peyton Burton. And we will see you next week for another fun-filled edition of the Everything College Basketball Podcast. See you later. Boom. Boom.